Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Robert Evans here, and welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about how things are falling apart and how to maybe put them back together. Obviously, the biggest story probably in the world right now is the ongoing invasion of Ukraine, and a major corollary of that story is how dramatically things in Russia have taken a turn for the totalitarian. Um, the country has become increasingly isolated from most of the global community. This is due to a mix of sanctions. Uh, to a lot of businesses pulling out just because of the social consequences of not doing so, uh, and of policies that have been put down by Putin's government in order to crack down on dissent and further remove Russia from any kind of contact with the West. Um, as a result, it's kind of difficult to get in touch with people who are resisting Putin's government from within Russia. Um, anarchist activists in particular um, are not easy people to reach. However, we did recently sit down with one of these individuals and talk to them. So this episode will both be 
an interview with that person, and a bit of history about the anarchist movements within Russia. Russia has actually a very long history of anarchist organizing. Two of the men generally considered foundational thinkers in anarchist political theory, Mikhail Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin, were both born in Russia. Both lived and agitated under the czars. Bakunin was an advocate and a major theorist of political terrorism. He fled the country, was returned, and ultimately spent like 10 years in prison there. Kropotkin was the author of a seminal anarcho-communist text titled The Conquest of Bread, and he was only able to return to Russia after the 1917 revolution. He died there in 1921. It's also worth noting that Peter Kropotkin is canonically the ancestor to Tommy Pickles of the Rugrats, but that's something you can look up on your own. Now, while some of the most influential anarchists in history were Russian and anarchist organizing was a potent part of pre-1917 Russian political history, the success of the Bolsheviks after 1917 led to the movement's near annihilation. Um, Emma Goldman was yet another major anarchist activist and thinker who was born and educated in Russia. She immigrated to the United States in 1885, where she promptly helped try to assassinate a steel magnate in revenge for his brutality against striking workers. Goldman grew to prominence as a labor activist and women's rights activist in the last decade of the 1800s. In 1901, her work helped inspire Leon Cholgosh to assassinate President William McKinley. While Emma Goldman had no direct connection to Cholgosh, she defended his actions by saying, As an anarchist, I am opposed to violence, but if the people want to do away with assassins, they must do away with the conditions which produce murderers. There's much more to say about Emma Goldman, but for our purposes, what matters is that she was arrested for opposing the draft in World War I and eventually deported back to Russia right after the revolution. Goldman was initially psyched that the Tsars had been deposed, but quickly became disillusioned by the violence of the forming totalitarian Soviet state. She considered this a betrayal of the revolution and wrote a series of articles for the New York World that have gone down as one of the first exposés of conditions in the Soviet Union. Goldman's work was criticized by many left-wing intellectuals outside of Russia, but she was correct about political repression in the new Bolshevik workers' paradise. Matters did not improve for anarchists in the first 20 years of the new regime. In 1937, in his History of Anarchism in Russia, E. Yaroslansky wrote, In the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics at the present time, the anarchists no longer enjoy any influence over the masses. They are met with only as isolated individualists. The fall of the Soviet Union, the coming of democracy, and the slow rise to power of Vladimir Putin did not enormously alter the state of affairs. Russian anarchists still exercise relatively little influence over the masses. Most of them struggle towards autonomy as isolated individuals. In March of 2022, in the third week of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I sat down with one of these people. We had been chatting online through Reddit for a couple of weeks, and the process of setting up a proper audio interview was difficult, to say the least. Repression of all political dissent under Putin is extreme. More than 13,000 people were arrested at anti-war protests in the first two weeks of the war. So you will understand why our source was paranoid about his identity. I had to download a secure app I'd never even heard of before, and he only agreed to speak with me while using a voice-changing application to further disguise his identity. Due to the difficulties this created, I will be paraphrasing him and quoting his words myself at a couple of points here in order to make listening to this a more comfortable experience, but here he is. Okay, uh, I mean, kind of in politics for, what, uh, 10 years, uh, I was never in, like, in the audio 
important. So it's basically speaking with the bones say covered because uh, my initial cell uh, was into like ten years ago plus was like fifty uh, fifty folks. So just to make it clear, he's saying that he's been involved in anarchist organizing for more than a decade, since around 2011. The initial cell he organized with was affiliated with an umbrella organization called Autonomous Action. We'll talk about them more in a minute, but it's important you understand that his cell, at about 50 people strong, was considered quite large for Russia. Uh, yeah, uh, except for in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, uh, there were uh, several groups, I guess. Uh, in uh, protests, in meetings, uh, etc., with pickets, whatever, uh, there were like 400 or something like that marching over. But of course, in the larger cities, uh, there were more groups, uh, more people there. Uh, but for provincial town, town uh, I was from 50 people is always considered, it was considered quite large. Even in 2011, organizing as an anarchist was rather risky. As a result, our source actually started his career in activism on his own, as a single protester. He would stand out in public places, sometimes during other protests, sometimes on his own, holding a sign that said in Russian, Peace to the World. Now, I'm reading you the English translation of what he put down. The the literal Russian words that he had on his sign were a reference to a famous Soviet slogan, officially adopted in 1951. The phrase actually has a much older origin in the country, which begins under the Orthodox Church and grew more popular among revolutionaries after the February Revolution. The first leftist to use peace to the world as a slogan uh, in Russia may have actually been A.F. Kerensky, who headed the brief democratic government that ran things after the Tsar stepped down. In our source's case, his sign was an act of protest against a number of things, including the recent Russian invasion of Georgia and Russian military operations in Syria. I was kind of a silly kid, and I was just, you know, preaching for, uh, I'm protesting for the court against all the evil stuff, all that stuff. Uh, it was lots, lots of enthusiasm and almost nothing in effectiveness or organization or whatever. Uh, but somehow we managed to do it for not entire winter uh, in the main square, but for a couple of weeks at least, uh, like every day, if I remember correctly. And then they fall, it's hot somehow. That's it. After he'd been seen doing this for a while, members of a local anarchist cell found this person and started asking them questions. Hey, who are you? What are you doing? What do you think of this and that? He was not specific about the individual political questions they answered, and we probably don't need to get into that. They invited him eventually to a building where a number of them tended to gather and prepare for actions. In short order, they started organizing together. At the time our source started organizing as an anarchist, the most notorious recent action was the Kimki Forest Conflict. In brief, Kimki is a forest with a long history as a nature preserve. It's kind of outside of Moscow. It's so densely forested that in the 1600s and then in the early 1800s, when the Russians were resisting Napoleon, it was used by partisans and insurgents as a base of operations. When the Bolsheviks took over, it was preserved to act as a sort of open-air therapy center for tuberculosis patients. In the early 2000s, local city planners started to advocate for a toll road to be built through the middle of the forest. 
Their argument was that a large amount of traffic passed through the Leningrad Highway, and that had caused huge amounts of air pollution in the city of Kimki. Since the forest was protected by national environmental codes, turning it into a road was a long political process. Activists protested, arguing that it would be an environmental disaster, which, spoilers, it was. Like anarchists in the United States in the period before the Green Scare, Russian anarchists carried out a series of occupation actions to try and protect the wildlands. So, from what I understand, uh, it was before I joined the uh, sales water. From what I understand, uh, it was tried, uh, the government uh, tried to let it out. It was illegal. Uh, ecologists were against it. Activists were against it. Uh, for, for time being, uh, it was like a violent direction uh, with uh, anti-fascists uh, really beating the shit out of everyone uh, who was trying to get there to do their job, I guess. There was patrols and stuff, uh, but in the end, it was uh, like the government's win anyway. In 2012, shortly after our source began participating in anarchist demonstrations, the government carried out a major crackdown against certain anarchist activists. They focused primarily on groups and individuals who were doing things like making Molotov cocktails and engaging in property destruction. Now, our source participated in food not bombs and other non-aggressive types of direct action, most of which involved handing out food and supplies to people or helping them to get resources. He did not disavow insurrectionary anarchists, the kind of people who threw bombs. But that wasn't the kind of thing he did, and he didn't have a lot of connections with those people because roughly a year after he started organizing as an anarchist, most of them, in his area at least, got cracked down on and either killed, forced out of the country, or arrested by the government. This crackdown on insurrectionary Russian anarchists led to an even more paranoid security culture among those who remained. Our source and his comrades mostly distributed food, but they also provided support for a large number of children whose families had abandoned them due to crushing poverty. Even though these things were not illegal, they had to maintain intense security culture to avoid being part of future crackdowns. Do you remember one of the leaders said, oh, please, wear a mask, uh, don't talk to anyone, oh, you don't know, like, oh, about the structure of the organization and stuff, oh, but still, like, communicate with people, but not, don't give all the information, don't give the information all that they need to know. One long-standing tradition among Russian anarchists was a sort of defensive isolation. People gave each other as little information as possible about their real identities. As a result, despite the fact that he has participated in multiple protests since the invasion of Ukraine, and people have been arrested at those protests, our source insists that he doesn't know if any of his comrades have been taken into custody. Now, some of this probably has to do with the fact that he's not organizing in a major city, um, but a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that he just doesn't particularly know any people by name. Polls, which are imperfect but cannot be entirely discounted, suggest that most Russian civilians support the war and their military. Even so, the scope and scale of the anti-war protests in Russia have beggared anything from recent memory. Our source says that this has actually helped to mitigate some of the despair you might expect Russian anarchists to feel, given the titanic increase in state repression. From what I know, from what I see in monitor, uh, people started to get, to get, to get home. At least, uh, anarchists there, if, if, uh, maybe one year ago, uh, in Peru, they were just, like, 
probably time that we talk about autonomous action, or AD, the Revolutionary Anarchist Federation that our friend and his comrades are affiliated with. AD actually has members in Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. It was founded in 2002 and briefly had affiliates in Armenia before they disbanded in 2005. That's a story in and of itself. AD advocates direct action in order to, quote, create a tradition and basis for a new humanist culture, social self-organization, and radical resistance against militarism, capitalism, sexism, and fascism. They consider the existing government of Russia as entirely illegitimate. They refuse to take part in Russian electoral politics, seeing even left-wing opposition parties as essentially controlled by Putin and only existing to provide a sham vision of choice. AD activists call themselves the autonomy and see their calling as twofold, to exist as autonomous free individuals within an unfree system and to spread revolutionary sentiment and weaken the state. Much has been said in the West of Alexei Navalny, a Russian opposition politician who, whatever else you might say about him, is certainly not controlled opposition. He has survived an assassination attempt by the Putin regime and is currently incarcerated after leaving his exile in the West to return to Russia and fight the sham case against him in court. No one can doubt that Navalny possesses significant physical courage, and it seems fair to say the man believes in what he says. AD activists, from what I have seen, do not fault him in his willingness to suffer for his beliefs, but they believe that he is, at the very least, deeply misguided. Navalny, they say, holds to a fundamentally errant belief that Russia could ever be a parliamentary democracy in the Western tradition. Their argument is that corruption investigations and electoralism are useless in Russia, and always have been. And from a historical standpoint, it is difficult to argue with these claims. Autonomous action members do not support the Ukrainian state, and I have read articles from them where they describe the conflict in the Donbass, which simmered for eight years before exploding into the current conflagration, as two fascist paramilitary forces backed by two capitalist governments. However, they have been consistent for years that the proper stance of Russian anarchists is to support the Ukrainian people against aggression from the Russian state. Before Putin commenced his broader invasion in February of this year, Autonomous Action published an article with the title, Why We Should Support Ukraine. Quote, Putin is not just the gendarme of Europe, but the gendarme of the whole world, from Syria to Myanmar. Whenever a dictator tortures and kills thousands of his old people, Putin is there to support him. There are no elections in Russia anymore. Even the most moderate attempts to change something results in criminal cases and persecutions. I do not believe that the result of this, yet another round of threatening declarations and building up pressure, is a full-scale war. But as the conflict is not disappearing, a full-scale war may start after five to ten years, even as a result of a cycle of escalation, even if no one really wants it. And in case of a full-scale war, we should be on the Ukrainian side. As Malatesta said, 
For me, there is no doubt that the worst of democracies is always preferable, if only from the educational point of view, than the best of dictatorships. Neutrality in a war between Ukraine and Russia would mean neutrality in an invasion of a democracy by a dictatorship. Now, our source concurs with the extant evidence that Russian citizens still broadly support the war, as I stated earlier. At least from what I see and hear from people, like even my ex-colleagues are supporting people, putting like, uh, come on, do you think uh, is that NATO attacking Russia with uh, bio, biological weapons better than that, something like that? So, yeah, people still believe in propaganda. He was certain to acknowledge that there's still a great deal of propaganda, largely pro-NATO propaganda, on the anti-war side of things. Given the information situation within his country, he admitted that he'd had difficulty parsing some things out. While acknowledging that his side also lacked perfect information, he felt that their stance against the war was safe because, in the end, it opposed bloodletting. Both can claim each other did admit that a number of people in his life, family and close friends, knew about his political sympathies, and he claims that the outbreak of war and the massive totalitarian swing Putin has taken over the last month have caused some of these people to be more open to his beliefs. So I'm kind of open, but I just don't open my mouth. Then when people, when I don't know people that much, but uh, all my friends, uh, like, do you know what, I'm, what kind of stuff I'm into? Uh, after the war has started, uh, they just uh, came to me either personally or in online. Hey, you've been preparing for this uh, like for years. You've been telling us all this uh, for years. I thought you were paranoid, and now I understand you're right. What do we, what do, we do? <laughs> so no, uh, I, do th- uh, I do have people knowing about me, about my views, and now they're seeing the picture. At the moment, the political situation within Russia is tremendously uncertain. All manner of dubious sources have claimed that a palace coup is in the offing or has been attempted. Some have even spoken of the possibility of a revolution or at least a massive protest campaign that forces Putin from office. Our source did not consider that likely. In the unlikely event the government collapsed entirely, he was not particularly optimistic about what might result. Imagine the centralized government uh, has fallen and there is no big leader who will conquer the whole once again appears. They just will go like, uh, well, again, it's probably will go just feudalism or urbanism in the regions, and whoever has the power and firearms and whatever will basically go into the places. Well, it's aside from nuclear apocalypse, He mentioned to me that a number of his loved ones had come forward recently to ask what they ought to do. I asked how he responded to that question. Right now, we try to organize and help each other because uh, there is a a chance our currency will cost nothing. It will just 
people need to survive. Uh, and that's the first thing. Like, uh, so, so organization and uh, interactions are more valuable than any currency right now for a while. I see it like that, that way. Uh, second thing is that we need to use the training or um, start. Uh, I guess there is, there is a term in, in uh, English anarchism uh, theory, like dull power, when you have all the infrastructure. Uh, basically, for now, we need to have enough food, enough water, and probably a place where we can train, even with the firearms. He particularly mentioned the revolutionary importance of finding some way to either smuggle or produce medical supplies and medications. He knows one person who already had to flee the country because his wife could no longer get the medicine she needed. He mentioned the sanctions levied against Russia as a major issue for regular working people. But when I asked what he felt Western countries could do in this conflict, he was actually quite focused on something else entirely. He believes the United States has access to high-quality satellite images of what happened in the immediate lead-up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Putin's government justified much of their invasion on so-called attacks from the Ukrainian government that they claim had escalated against the separatist regions. Our source believes his government is lying about this. So you do know uh, the wars who started it because uh, you know, like in uh, first world war, uh, it was started by many states, uh, it could be stopped, but it didn't. Uh, so here's the same thing. Uh, yeah. We need to cover the crimes that have been going I don't believe that uh, Ukrainian powers are uh, being, uh, let's, let's say, less a military power uh, compared to Russia, uh, not doing some shady stuff. Uh, yeah. So we do need those things covered and published and released. Maybe not as soon as possible because it's still going on, but at least it will help uh, people to since the invasion, it has gotten notably harder, but not impossibly hard, for Russian citizens to get information about the conflict that does not come from the Kremlin. Our source explained how he does it, a combination of using VPNs and understanding the nature of authoritarian propaganda. In short, even when the government is lying to you, you can get an idea of what the truth is by understanding what they want you to believe. Yes, I do have VPN, like... Tor and stuff, also the multiple sources from all the sites, US side, uh, you know, South, South Korea side, Russia side, Ukraine side, uh, some independent stuff as well. Uh, I don't really uh, believe any official, uh, let's say, posts messages because they're at the very best they say what's going to what's they're trying to get into uh, but uh, if you have enough let's see okay let's put it this way uh, when uh, Russian uh, 
Ministry of Foreign Affairs selling us they're working on a peaceful solution. And uh, at the same time, uh, we hear uh, that Syrians, uh, Syrian uh, mercenaries are going to the Korean War. Uh, it, for, for me, it means one thing. They want to postpone uh, the fighting uh, to get some time. So, from official sources, uh, there is still some information if you know how to proceed. Uh, he felt that one way U.S. activists could be helpful to Russian activists was by continuing to document and study the different munitions and tactics used by police in cracking down on demonstrations. He noticed that Russian police used similar and sometimes even the same weapons to the ones that the U.S. police used on crowds in the 2020 protests. He believes the documentation done to study these weapons is helpful to people all around the world. He expressed some frustration at friends and colleagues of his who, after years of failing to truly grapple with the degree to which Putin had centralized power, were now fleeing Russia to avoid living under an increasingly totalitarian state. As one of my colleagues who were uh, going to, I guess, Armenia or Turkey, whatever, uh, he was uh, trying to support me, like, uh, well, it's so weird, this stuff is going on, this political Russians, blah, blah, blah. Well, yes, if you're not into politics, that's something new for you. I'm not uh, trying to blame him uh, for not being into politics, but uh, it's how it's been. And that's why uh, we were against that before the war, like against the government. He has decided to stay and to resist. While he has admitted to now studying martial arts and military tactics, he did not have high hopes for any kind of confrontation with the Russian state. And as a generally peaceable person, he has decided that he will continue to resist in the way that makes the most sense to him, by helping people and providing them with things that they will increasingly need as the economic situation in Russia degrades further. For me, helping people was kind of a life sense of life, meaning of life, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've been struggling with that for yeah. at least six years. I wouldn't say depression, but uh, it was having me. But then I understood that uh, one simple thing about anarchists and why should I call myself a new... Okay, if I call myself an anarchist, then I should make uh, one simple thing. I need to believe in people. If I don't believe in people, oh, what are we talking about then? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. 
your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Ah, welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast where this today I sit down with my buddy Jake Hanrahan and we talk about Corsica. Jake, how's hey, how, man, how, how you, you doing? doing? How's the show? How how, how you yeah, how yeah. you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I got a bit of a flu, but uh, otherwise everything's really good, man. Yeah, um, we y- you just took a little reporting trip um, down to the island of Corsica. Um, which is not a place I know much about, and I mean, I guess not a place most of our listeners know much about. So why don't you why don't you start with kind of like what what brought you down there? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. A lot of people don't even know it exists. I sent the documentary made um, with Popular Front to a friend of mine today, and he said, "Bro, that's the first time I've ever heard of Corsica." <laughs> like, yeah, like <laughs> a lot of people don't know about it. So it's a very old island. Um, you know, more than two hundred years, people have inhabited. The place but generally for the last kind of 200 years there's been an on again off again independence movement there people that don't want to be under the control of france or whoever they want control of their own island because corsican is quite a specific culture um it's very different to french culture it's different to italian culture they even have their own language called course um unfortunately it's kind of dying out as you know a lot of languages do in kind of contested areas if you like um but yeah so so they've always kind of wanted to be independent in some way not everybody not the whole place i'm sure you'll find some corsicans that will say they're corsican french but generally the majority of people if you go there and say what are you they'll tell you we're corsican we're not french Mm -hmm. we're corsican so in the 1970s that kind of coalesced was rebirthed if you like with the backdrop of, you know, guns, bombs and independence movements across Europe. 
and a group called the FLNC formed. The um, it was a nationalist liberation front for Corsica, and they arrived with 21 bombs on the island in one night. I mean, not arrived. You know, they were already there. Of course, yeah, they were yeah, Corsicans, yeah. but they they bombed 21 times in one night, mostly French infrastructure. And they were all very, very well armed. There was literally hundreds of members. And at one point, I have to, I don't want to say this uh, 100% because it's been a while since I, I looked at the research. But if I'm right, at one point in the in the late 70s or early 80s, the FLNC was actually the most active militant or terrorist group in the whole of Europe, even, even more active than the provisional IRA. Now, yeah. the provisional IRA killed a lot more people, uh, the FLNC, their targets weren't really to kill people. They were to blow up holiday homes and blow up French infrastructure. They did have open gun battles and they did assassinate uh, the, the highest ranking French officer on Corsica uh, on the island eventually. But yeah, so, so there was this real backdrop of very militant um, independence. When I say nationalist, it's not, it's not what we might associate with like far right nationalists. You know, mm -hmm. when an independent movement doesn't have its own country you know the ultra nationalism in their sense comes out in a very different way it's not we want to ban everybody else from here it's simply we want our country you know what i mean so when i say ultra nationalist that's not to be confused with fascist ultra nationalist it's very different not to say that corsicans all believe in in leftist causes um that that wouldn't be true a lot of them do there's a big socialist element to, to the cause, and there's also quite a right-wing element to the cause, but ultimately they all kind of want the same thing, autonomy or independence for Corsica. So yeah, so that, that's the kind of history, um, very briefly, of, of militant independence movements in Corsica. In 2014, the FLNC put down their guns, and recently one of the FLNC, or suspected FLNC militants who shot this, this high-ranking French official that I told you about, um, this, this guy is called Ivan Colonar, he was arrested um, after the shooting in the 90s and sent to a French prison for life. And on March the 6th, I believe it was, he was, uh, no, sorry, March 2nd, he was attacked in a French prison by a jihadist inmate and beaten into a coma. Yesterday or two days ago now, he died of his injuries. Uh, ever since he was beaten into this coma, the youth would just kind of lit the place on fire. You know, they were really clashing very violently. And for, for the last kind of seven years since there was a, as a, was a relative calm on the island in terms of political activism and militancy, the politicians, the more moderate parties have tried to do this politically. And for the first time in a while, the youth have gone, no, fuck it. We're, we're not playing that anymore. We're, we're going to knock the place about. We're going to smash the shop up. And basically, it's kind of worked, which we can go into. But yeah, so, sorry to go on a lot, but there's quite a lot to it. Because obviously, like you said, a lot of people don't know. Um, but one thing I will say is Corsica is just one of the most beautiful places anybody will go to. Like objectively, it's idyllic. It's not really had this horrible holiday home vibe there because genuinely when when some contractors tried to kind of gentrify Corsica and turn it into the next Ibiza, I believe one of the quotes was from one of the, uh, yeah. the, the people doing this, the FLNC kind of waited for them to build their homes and then blew them all up and blew up all their hotels. <laughs> so, so it was like, they're like, you're not going to do that here. Um, yeah. and a lot of these companies were infringing on the environment, um, which is beautiful there. And yeah, so there's a lot more to it. But generally, you know, this all kind of revolves around militant independence. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think it's fascinating, the idea of targeting 
like the the degree to which a lot of this seems to be focused on stopping this place from turning into another vacation destination where like rich people's second homes push out the the population that's born there um i think there's a lot of places that like uh, uh organize or complain about that sort of thing um but I, i'm not aware of anyone who's gone to these kind of lengths to stop themselves from turning into another ibiza yeah yeah and honestly if you go to corsica and see how beautiful it is not just i mean it's one of the few places in europe where you can see the mountains from the beach you know it's yeah. just an incredible island i've been obsessed with this place since i was about 24 years old Firstly, from the nature and the beauty there. But secondly, I was very interested in the militant group there um, because the culture there is so different. But yeah, if you look at the place, you go there and you realize like, right, this place is very much worth preserving. Mm. I don't want to act like there hasn't been businesses doing their thing there. There definitely is. But certainly it feels preserved. There's no high rises. All of the old buildings are still there. They're still intact. And you know, when, when these big businesses came in and a lot of these businessmen were almost showing off, like, yeah, we're going to turn Corsica into Ibiza, which as a Brit, um, I will apologize to anyone living in Ibiza because <laughs> we're one of the worst exports ever, you know, like having sex in the street and throwing up at bars and everything mm-hmm. when we go there. Um, yeah, but, it's kind of been turned into one big, not the great club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the great club, definitely. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's one of these ones where it's like, yeah, I could kind of understand. I'm not saying anyone should bomb anywhere, certainly not, but I do understand the sentiment there. And one of the one of my Corsican friends said um, some people were calling it like the cold bed policy. So you come to our island, you buy a holiday home, and if you leave that bed cold, as in you're not even living here, <laughs> it's gonna get blown up. You know, yeah. hot bed if you like. So very militant, very violent, but effective i mean it doesn't mean that you have to agree with it but no one can deny that it hasn't been effective but at the same time there's a very big mafia presence on the island as well so that you know it's not to say that everything is all for the people um certainly not i'm gonna guess that the mafia is more or less on the side of you know uh turn this place into a vacation destination because that's where the money is that that would be my assumption really that's interesting no, so the unfortunately the, the independence movement, not all of them, but there is an mm. element to it that is very hand in hand with the mafia, most definitely. Interesting. Um, perhaps some people that were independent militants are now mafia, if you like. Mm. Um and people have been killed on the island quite a lot. There's quite a lot of, you know, unsolved murders there. It's quite sad. Um, but no, they they were more for keeping their own interests, you know. Um we have this island, we can run the docks, we can run this, we can run that. Mm. And whilst what you said like makes sense, right? You would think, oh no, they'd be for this money. I think what they want, they're still nationalists at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. They want control, but they want control in their own way. And right. if a big business comes in and starts saying, oh yeah, we're doing this and that and the other, and we're bringing all these people in via the docks, I guess they lose control of that essentially. So they were very much on the side of, yeah, do what you like sort of thing. And That's I think fascinating. behind a lot of it, yeah. So yeah, you, very you, unique, very specific place. Yeah, you mentioned at this action you showed up for, people bombed uh, twenty-one targets. Uh, was mm. it twenty-one? Mm, twenty-one in one night. In, yeah, in one night. Yeah. When you say bomb, are we talking like your standard Molotovs, or were were they were are, were they kind of like more um, elaborate devices, shall we say? How would you describe what they were using? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, when you think of twenty-one in one night, you think right, like Molotov, small right, AED. something simple. Yeah, yeah, no, no, there weren't even pipe bombs. You're talking fertilizer bombs. Oh They're wow, very, yeah, like blowing yeah. up 
whole buildings, you know, um, not all of them, you know, there were some smaller ones, but some very significant ones um, and very, very big. The way Corsica is, the way it's laid out, like I said, it's a small place. I think only like 300,000 people live there roughly. And there are mountains, there are beaches, there are very rural communities. It's an island. It's quite far away from France, actually. It's very close to Italy. Um, and Sardinia is just to its south. And it's just for them, if you you couldn't ask for a better location if you wanted to be a kind of guerrilla group, you know, you really couldn't. It's, yeah. it's kind of built for them. So they just got away with it, you know, farmers, whatever. They went into the mountains, build bombs, drop them off. And not to say that everybody was for them, but there is some... It wasn't just we want independence. There was there was subjugation by the French, you know. Firstly, they're like, we don't want to be a French colony or whatever you would call it anymore, which I think anybody that wants their determination to not be held by a former colonial power right. is fine, um, or current colonial power, if you like. Um, For sure. You know, I think, yeah, fair play to them. But secondly, they're one of the most poorer regions, despite having all this holiday stuff, despite having a lot of produce, despite having a lot of reasons to be there. So there's definitely something I, I won't claim to know too much about the law situation. And I'm sure a lot of French people get angry, whatever, but it is genuinely doing very badly in many different aspects. Is that mismanagement by them? Is it because of the French? I couldn't tell you. I don't know enough about it, but I certainly find it very weird that all of these beautiful things that are happening on that island and they're, they're constantly in you know the, the lower bracket of situations economically, culturally, they're getting kind of sidelined a bit so i do i do understand and certainly when the clashes or even protests happened in the 70s the police you know french police i'm sorry but they're some of the worst fucking police ever oh yeah um you know and i i've been in front of turkish police like french police are fucking up there they're horrible and they beat the shit out of a lot of people in corsica just for peacefully protesting you know so it didn't come from nowhere you know what i mean there is there is more to it than just nationalism and independence there's a lot more to it they want to they want to they want to deal with their own affairs a lot of them you know yeah uh, most people probably now want to do it democratically but like i said the youth were said no fuck that we're not getting anywhere and they've actually it's actually worked because the day after the riots that we filmed on uh march 13th the the interior minister of france basically said right we're willing to discuss this with you we will go as far as autonomy. That's literally a quote he said, wow. you know, which is quite significant. Yeah, after seven years of basically stalemate through the politicians. So the youth, in a way, one of the very few examples of this, specifically in Europe, the youth, what they're doing kind of worked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, direct worked. action got, got some goods. It's got or at some least results start, right started now. the process of getting the goods, hopefully. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it has. And the thing about the Corsican youth is they're very intelligent, they're very, they're very authentic in their political activism in the sense of it's just they're born into it. It's in them, you know, from the age of like 12, 13, they're understanding it. They're getting told about the legends of blah, blah, you know, um, there's this militant group and whatever, whatever. So they, it's very much in them in that sense, kind of in a, you know, like the Kurds are kind of, you know, not yeah. on the same level, but that kind of vibe. So when they go to students, uh, when they go to uni and they become students, they're not really forming their political opinions. They already have them. They already got them. Mm. And then they they sort of high, they sort of um, germinate together. So that's from what I understood anyway. That's from what I gathered. And, you know, your average trendy young man and woman on the street there is very political. It's kind of like Greece in that sense. Like it's mm. cool to be political, but in the sense of not the kind, not like... Um, 
you know, not not something you bought into as a teenager, something that was already there. And then, which which there's nothing wrong with it. You know, most people form their political opinions in unis or whatever, but for them, it's already in them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they already have, they're already united in that sense. You know, so when they get to the uni, they get there. It's like, okay, well, we all want independence or autonomy, but then the other things are lesser. So, you know, for the, in that reason, in that sense, I think that was quite interesting. And we saw like 8,000, 9,000 people marching maybe. And then when the clashes started, you know how it is, Robert, like normally it's like, what, 100, 300 people stay? Mm-hmm. You're talking like 2,000 people, I wow. reckon. Full pelt clashing. And men and women, like young girls, young men, like many, many, you know. So it was really, I was like, wow, okay. And one, one thing that I've never, I haven't seen for a very long time, I've very rarely seen it. Normally when the clash happens, everybody you know, your grandmas, your working man, you know, the people that support what's going on, but are not able to clash or don't want to clash, they normally step back. In the Corsican protests, everybody just stayed. Like we were getting tear gas next to like 50 lads with balaclavas on next to like grandma or auntie, you know, and we were like helping people into the side street to get away from tear gas. It was very weird. And they, they just didn't leave. They just were there the whole time. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. When you're talking about like tactically, what is this? How are these kind of bombings being pulled off? As you, so you've got like this huge crowd, and they're just kind of like marching from target to target. Um, so the youth are not really. I mean, they have some small kind of IEDs. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? The youth yeah. student, the youth protesters. But generally, it's Molotovs, bricks, burning mm-hmm. barricades. But they very clearly know the island inside out they know Mm -hmm. their streets you know obviously because they live there and most of the police from what i understand are actually french called in from the island from the mainland sorry to the island a lot of the crs riot police thousands of them were brought in there was that they were actually completely outnumbered they had to retreat at one point in in the evening uh to go back to the prefecture the kind of cultural french administrative building where Mm -hmm main the main target of violence was they had to retreat to get more ammunition because they just they just shot so much tear gas yeah um they just couldn't you know they couldn't do anything there were some teams like the youth um some of them had green armbands or green leg bands so they were very clearly like a different unit and they were very well organized they didn't have walkie-talkies mind you normally that that shows a, a closer sign of organization but some of them were like that some of them were just turned up to fight and some of them were splitting off into different groups you would see one come in they'd fight 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 and then they'd leave and as they're leaving another load would just come in in a line it was it was really quite interesting you know they'd really thought about it um it wasn't just a free-for-all which it might look like but Mm -hmm. you know after a while of covering riots there's certain things you notice where you're like ah okay they're planning this they're planning that you know what i'm saying so it's quite interesting in that sense um but yeah, man, it's yeah, thousands of thousands of youth fighting. Um, it did get messy. I think 44 police were injured, 13 protesters, and one pedestrian. That was the official figures. I saw at least three pedestrians injured, uh, and I think probably more protesters and definitely more cops, I would say. Yeah, I mean, obviously it also depends on like what your rating is an injury for that sort of thing. True. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of folks probably are avoiding the hospitals and being dealt with at homes and whatnot because they that's were committing some crimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, at home with super glue instead of stitches or whatever. Yeah. Um, do you have a sense of like how long what the kind of the back end of this was, the preparation process was for this? 
Yeah, so the clashes have been ongoing before we got there for about a week. So Ivan Kolonar was beaten into this coma. He was he was attacked in prison. Um, there's some rumours that he said some kind of Islamophobic thing to the inmate. Don't know how true that is, but all we know is the guy was actually a you know a, a convicted jihadist. It's not kind of hearsay. The the guy, the inmate, was a convicted jihadist because obviously Ivan Kolonar is in the type of prison where what the state says is terrorists are there. You know what I mean? Anybody terrorist yeah. is there. So it makes sense. He's amongst these people. And I think he was attacked in the gym when he was on his own and he was strangled. And this, oh. this is where, yeah, yeah. This is where there's a weird point of contention. He, because of the special status he had as such a violent uh, militant or whatever, he mm. shouldn't have really been on his own like that. And some yeah. people are speculating, did something happen? But generally, most people we spoke to were like, it was probably just negligence. You know, they weren't very conspiratorial. There was some were like, oh, the French, the French planned this. I doubt it. It doesn't make much sense to do this right now. Like, you know, they knew what would happen to Ivan Kolonar, uh, to, to, to the people, sorry, if Ivan Kolonar was hurt, because he's a big, you know, a big um, name there. There's also some, you know, maybe interesting um, arguments around the case, the way he was arrested. Apparently the gun doesn't match up. I don't know. I didn't really get into that. But either way, he's like a, you know, people there love him. You know what I'm saying? He's like a yeah. martyr for them. Even though, you know, he shot this guy in the back in, in cold blood, essentially. But for them, that was a political assassination, whatever. So so for about a week, the the, the youth were fighting. And I, I saw a video, I'm very, or anything that happens in Corsica, I'm like, right, I'm looking at it. And I was like, okay, this this is a little bit different. Uh, okay, Molotovs are out again. Hasn't Haven't seen that for a while. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then it spread one night to like five different cities or, or like, sorry, three different cities, like big, big places. And then they burnt like a very specific monument. So that was like, oh, it's on. So at least for at least a week, they were, they, they were planning something, you know, and there was enough kind of um, momentum there, I think for them to organize. Certainly we know that there was people from Ajaccio, the capital city in Bastia, where we filmed and like a lot of people drove in. They came, you know, specifically for this clash. So that was quite interesting. I think the youth movement have a very strong network there. And there's also quite a big football ultra scene there. So the day before the clashes, Bastia and Ajaccio had a derby. So obviously, I imagine a lot of the ultras, or at least I know a lot of the ultras, were also part of the independence groupings and part of the clashes mm -hmm. so i imagine that a lot of the football ultras kind of organized you know you know the, the match the day before or at least the week before so i think there was quite a lot of organization there you know what do you feel like is next is this the kind do you get the sense that because the government has announced their willingness to sit down and talk that maybe folks are going to wait to follow up this or do you get the sense that they're going to kind of keep the pressure on well the thing is, there was one option before Ivan Kolonar died, mm -hmm. and now there's a new option that he's died. You see what I'm saying? Right. Before right, he died, of course. I think what you're saying would have would have happened. Like I, I, I mean, I don't know, but I think the youth would have they would have held off the fact that the Interior Minister of France, who answers directly to Macron, within one day or less than one day, said we're willing to go as far as autonomy in these discussions. Right. If stop being violent i think the youth were smart enough to realize all right 
let's stop. Let's see what he's got to say. I'm sure if things faltered, if things didn't move quick enough, they would have very quickly stepped up the stepped up the violence again. However, now that Ivan Kolonar has died, I don't think that they're just going to wait. Now, from what I understand from speaking to contacts and friends in Corsica, there's a period of mourning right now. Um, you know, his funeral, he died in a prison in Marseille. He wasn't yeah. even transferred to, to Corsica to die. So for a lot of them, that's incredibly offensive. That's the kind of spark that started these clashes. It's all about independence and autonomy on one level, but the thing that drove this and sparked it was Ivan Kolonar's attack. And, and the fact that there's a lot of Corsican prison, prisoners, which are political prisoners, are in prison in France instead of Corsica. Anyway, so now that he has died, I really think that there will be a moment of calm due to the funeral and respect for Ivan Kolonar and whatever. And then I think maybe a week after this week, I, I think it's almost inevitable that we will see some form of violence again. I've spoken to some people that are maybe going a bit far, maybe being a bit dramatic, I don't know, but they speculate that there'll be a little bit more than just clashes. One one person I know said, I think they're going to blow something up again. Do I yeah. think that? Probably not. But certainly when we were in the streets, they were using, uh, there's, there's photos of it as well, they were using very crude, but very small improvised explosive devices. Now, when a group even starts to do that, you know, okay, it's a very small device. It was in a kind of, like a basically a tennis ball type thing with it with whatever in it, but it was fucking loud. Um, it wouldn't really do much unless it probably blew up right next to your foot. Mm -hmm. But when they're even considering that, in my experience, that tells you that people are there's an element that are ready to go further up the ladder to the next level. Does that mean they're gonna blow somewhere up? I don't know. I don't see it personally. You know, these these young people are very clever. I think that would be an insane decision because. It would France would have no option but to basically flood the island with a lot more police and maybe even military type police. I don't know, maybe not. But um, but yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. But again, like, my point is not not that I think this is going to happen, but there's that talk which we haven't seen that kind of talk in Corsica for quite a while. You know what I mean? And there's actually people now genuinely worried, like, okay, where's this going to go? Um, which can never be a good thing. I guess the the French state really has to be careful here, and. I think the fact they've now said we're going to go as far as autonomy, maybe they at the very least have to be shown to be doing that very quickly. I think, yeah. you know, otherwise for a lot of people in Corsica, it's like Ivan Colonna died in vain, I guess. And it's not just the youth, it's everybody, even people that perhaps really don't like that the youth were fighting, really don't support that level of violence. They still support Ivan Colonna and are very sad he's dead you see what i'm saying and the way yeah. he died and even even bastia fc the, the football team uh one of the main football teams in corsica they they said oh you know we're very sad that he's dead you know a hero has died that kind of thing so he's a very he's seen as a martyr now definitely mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's a predictable outcome from uh, killing a guy who's in prison um right 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 so we're kind of in this like waiting to see what the next step is then i guess like the, the it's it's kind of this weird sort of like political liminal space i guess where the next steps are there's a number of things that could happen um that's um, kind that's of the right in the middle way of it. To describe yeah. it yeah definitely it's this very everything's in transition it's mm -hmm. it's very it's it's either calm before the storm or it's calm 
that turns into something positive. <laughs> um, but I, I just don't see it, you know, after almost two weeks of extremely violent clashes, very well organized, after seeing them on the ground as well, these are brave lads, these and, and women as well. The, these are not your kind of average weekend warriors. They're very, very up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how people clash in Paris, like French people, they're right. very up for it. As soon as oh, the yeah. fine, they'll fight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that times 10 for, from what I experienced because it's got the the kind of incubated nationalist identity separate from France, but whilst also having kind of fiery French culture and fiery Italian culture influences and fiery Corsican culture. Um, not to say that they're not very nice people. Everyone was absolutely lovely, very, very friendly. But you can tell they're, you know, they're a fiery people. They're active. Mm-hmm. They're about it. They mean what they say. So I, I don't think that the youth will just go quietly from this. Essentially, a political prisoner, um, a martyr now, and then for them to just go, oh, okay, we'll just relax now. I don't see it. You go, you're talking from like, you know, probably uh, in the full week of clashes, maybe four or 5,000 people together throwing rocks, burning barricades, throwing small improvised devices at cops, to then just to go to nothing after Ivan Colonar dies, I'd be very, very surprised. I think the only way that that would happen would be for France to go, okay, here's your autonomy, and then that energy could be turned into a celebration. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that should or shouldn't happen. I just think, theoretically, that's the only sure. way that it could avoid violence because the energy is there now. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Not, not on like a esoteric level. It's just the level of like they're revved up. They're ready, you know, and the attitude, the kind of, the, it's in the air. It's in the air right now. So you published just a couple of days ago your little documentary, like short documentary from Popular Front, uh, yeah, a little which has footage. Yeah. yeah, a little dispatch, which has footage from this, um, which people should definitely check out, especially if they'd like to see some of the the tactics that we've talked about. Um, on this this episode so far, is there anywhere else you might recommend they go for further reading on this subject? Um, not not to be um, oh yeah, only popular front. Um, but we we it's just something that I've just been specifically fascinated and obsessed with for a long time. So when the time came, I was very well prepared. Um, everyone has said like, oh, you know, this is this is crazy. Like, you know, you how did you understand all of this so quickly? It's like ah, because I've been reading about it. And and the problem with a lot of the French reporting is, you know, it's it's naturally very French yeah. skewed. It's a little bit sneery, like all oh, the island people are kicking off again. Whereas it's like, no, come on, like this is an incredible, beautiful place. Of course they want to preserve it. Of course they want to control it in whatever way they want to. So again, it's very difficult. Um, but I will say that there are some really good reporters um, there. There's a um, a friend of mine uh, um, from Corsica, Lionel Dumas, uh, he runs like a thing called um, Corsican Passport, or he used to, which was kind of um, kind of humorous, but at the same time, you know, news about kind of Corsican-related um, patri- patriotic stuff. And then who we worked with, Jean Colonar, he's not related to um, Yvonne Colonar. Yeah. Like, it's it's quite a, you know, common, it's a common name. common last name, yeah. Exactly, yeah. To us, it sounds quite, you know, oh, mm-hmm. right, you must be related. But over there, it's like, not Smith, Smith, but you know, yeah. it's quite common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Jean Colonna, he's great. And there's also um the local papers in Corsica, Course Matin. They're really good. Um, you might have to translate stuff, but they're very on the ball. You know what I mean? They're they're focused yeah. on everything. So if people are interested in it, honestly, I would say like seek out local French reporters. From what I gathered as well, there's there's a quiet 
but really thriving kind of youth media. I wouldn't say it's a it's a movement, but there's something growing there. You know, I spoke well before I went out. I spoke to quite a few reporters, really nice people, really enthusiastic, um, really you know, love loving their island, but not full of hatred or anything like that. That that's something that I've seen a lot of French people say. Oh. Corsicans are really full of hatred, they're racist, they're blah, blah. And it's like, I, I didn't experience that. Mm. And at the same time, uh, it's like, have you been to Paris? <laughs> like, it's yeah. So fucking <laughs> have you seen a French riot? <laughs> yeah. It's well, like, yeah. You know, like, it, it, it's like, uh, at the end of the day, I think the whole region probably has, a, has an issue with that. But certainly the youth are very open-minded, very nice. Um, and like I said, this isn't just me basing it off of one trip. I've been fascinated with this place for about, six to eight years and i i have not experienced anything like that sure you'll hear the old comment like oh you know a very yeah it's europe it's, yeah it's europe exactly <laughs> right? Thank yeah. You. exactly it's europe some fucking stupid yeah not to minimize it but like no, it's but not yeah, it's, just it's, corsica it's, uh, exactly you know oh, for fuck's sake whatever but yeah. generally you know for a small island it could be way mm-hmm. worse and and yeah so i had a lot of french people like they're really nasty they're really violent and it's like they're not actually like they're very angry but they don't hate they don't hate the French in that sense of like, oh, you're a French person, kill you. It's the same yeah. thing as we hate the state, you know, like, and at the same time, they have a very, quite a few people brought up Ireland and the Basque situation and Sardinia. And so they have this, they have an internationalist mentality as well, actually. And in yeah. fact, years ago, there used to be a youth conference in Corsica hosted there. I don't think it goes on anymore, but it was hosted in Corsica by what was a very well-organized radical socialist youth movement in Corsica, where people from Northern Ireland, people from the Basque country, people from, um, uh, what's the one in Barcelona? Oh, um, um, Catalonia. Catalonia. Yeah, Catalonia. Yeah. yeah, people from there would come, you know, all people from different breakaway regions or, or whatever. And they would all come and they would all meet in Corsica and they would talk about tactics and politics and whatever. So it's a very, very interesting cultured place. Amazing history. Fucking Napoleon is from Napoleon is from there. You know, <laughs> that'll yeah. tell you what you want. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really cool place. And you know, we only documented one side of it, a very radical side of it, because that's what was happening that weekend. You yeah, know, it's a dispatch. But there are a lot of moderates as well. There are a lot of like political, very smart political moderate moderates that are like, look, we don't want violence, but we do want autonomy. We want something. And they, you know, they said, oh, you only showed the militant side of it. It's like, well, you weren't on the street that day. <laughs> you know, yeah. these kids were. So obviously yeah. that's how it worked. But um, yeah, I would I, to answer your question again, sorry. I would say just if you're interested in the region, um, check it out. And there's, there's a film. If you can find it in English subtitles, send it to me. But there's a fictionalized film about the FLNC. I think it's called A Life of Violence. Um, that's actually like quite good. It's a bit romanticized, but it's quite good in terms of explaining the situation there. Yeah. So if you speak French, check that out. And just awesome. check out like Course Martin and all these these other kind of local reporters there. People act like, oh, it's too hard to find them. It does feel like that. But once you find them, you find them all. So they're yeah. There. Awesome. Well, Jay Canrahan, thank you so much. Check out the new Popular Front Dispatch on Corsica. Um, on the YouTube, and, and, by the way, the popular yeah. front YouTube, yeah, yeah. So check out all the popular front stuff on YouTube. You've got a great documentary out also about the territorial defense militias in Ukraine that you filmed right before shit went. Yeah, it, you it's, know it's <laughs> where it's it is. Yeah, yeah, we, we're still um, editing it because yeah. we're a bit like, how do we? Yeah, 
how do we make this most relevant? But it's it's coming. It's it will be quite interesting. I'm excited. To, uh, yeah, another perspective beforehand. Yeah, yeah. The shit you were posting on Twitter was really interesting. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, uh, check that out when it's out. Check out all of Popular Front's other stuff. Um, and yeah, thank you, Jake. Let's uh, we'll we'll, we'll have you back on soon. All right, man. Thank you very much. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Uh, welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast. The podcast. The, pod- the podcast um, where we go, ah, every episode. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, when you open too many podcasts, you, you lose the ability to open podcasts. Anyway, uh, St. Andrew, um, th- this is your episode, so I'm going to let you let you take it, take it away. Take us on a journey. 
Hello, 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 hello. Hi, good day, good afternoon, and good night. Um, today we just wanted to cover a rather broad topic. I don't even know if it's going to be released before the end of February. Probably not. But in honor of Black History Month, um, I wanted to cover the history of Caribbean resistance to slavery and the different ways that manifested across the Caribbean. Uh, For those who don't know, um, slavery in the Caribbean took place for several hundred years, beginning with the enslavement of the Amerindians, the and continuing up until the abolition of slavery in 1834, at least in British territories. Um, Before then, there were multiple struggles um, against the institution, both passive and active, and in every step of the process. Um, And then, of course, post slavery there were also multiple rebellions and insurrections and strikes that took place in the region but i can't cover the well there are about seven thousand islands in the caribbean give or take but i can't cover the histories of all of those for the past couple thousand years but i will try to cover fairly generally the different forms of resistance that took place Starting with, of course, the resistance that took place in Africa. I mean, even before uh, enslaved people were put on these ships, even before they were captured, there were measures that were taken to protect themselves from enslavement. There was, of course, flight in the sense of running away. Um, But there was also evidence of Africans moving their villages to inaccessible areas like mountains or or deeper into the forest, where it's less accessible for enslaved people, um, sorry, for enslavers to try to capture their people. One of the more famous enslaved people, um, Oluwada Equino, he founded a society in Britain after being enslaved and taken to the Caribbean and eventually moving to Britain after becoming a freedman and starting the Sons of Africa abolitionist group. He had written his own autobiography, The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Oluwada Equino, in 1789, and he detailed some of the horrors of slavery from an enslaved person's perspective. And so a lot of what we know about slavery and how it occurred uh, comes from his personal account among others, of course. So he spoke about some of the measures that were taken in his own village to defend against capture. But um, he, after being ca- captured, of course, from the Kingdom of Benin around 1745, he ended up being taken on the slave ships, separated from his families, and carried with 244 other people across the Atlantic to Barbados, and then eventually taken to Virginia, and then from Virginia being bought by a Royal Navy lieutenant and eventually being freed. During the voyages that occurred, 
and there were multiple during the whole triangle trade. It has been said that one in ten of all Atlantic crossings through the Middle Passage had some kind of rebellion, whether it be through taking control of the ships and attempting to seal them back to Africa with the assistance of the crew or without, or of Africans battling against other ships. Um, or in one case, in Amistad in 1839, some Africans were taken captive above aboard a cargo ship and they freed themselves, killed the captain and the cook and forced them to take them back to Sierra Leone. But instead, the owners of the ship ended up taking them to the United States where they were captured by the Coast Guard. Jesus. Yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Um, one slave ship surgeon, a guy named Alexander Falconbridge, became an abolitionist because he saw all the... Well, first of all, he saw the horrible conditions that were present on those ships in the Middle Passage where, you know, hundreds of people were shackled together and crammed into these tight, enclosed, dark, wet, infected spaces for weeks on end while being taken across. And of course, a lot of the so-called cargo, the people who were en route to be enslaved, were killed by the conditions present on those slave ships. However, despite the fact that, you know, so many people were dying from the terrible conditions of the ships, the slave trade was so profitable for the um, enslavers and for the economies of the colonial nations that it was still, they were still, not, 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 they were still not only able to break even, but profit massively from the excursions. And even though the Middle Passage got more and more dangerous for crews as rebellions became more and more expected, production for more shackles, more weaponry to keep captives secured arose in England and helped to secure some of their um, travels. Of course, there were also times where Africans would burn the ships they were on or where they would jump off of the ships, as I'm sure many people remember. Killmonger's um, famous final words in Black Panther. And from what I remember, the first enslaved people who arrived in Hispaniola immediately ran away and were able to escape before being recaptured. Once um, enslaved people arrived in the horrible conditions at the various colonies in the Caribbean, one of the major projects of their colonial overlords was to convert them while in the process of, you know, enslaving them. Of course, a lot of enslaved people were dying very rapidly due to the diseases and the terrible working conditions they had to endure. But for those who did survive, um, separated from their families, from their ties to kinship, from really their home and everything that came along with it as displaced indigenous people, they had to figure out ways to maintain and protect their cultures 
um, from, you know, naming conventions to craftsmanship, to language, to philosophy, to beliefs, to music, to dance. These are all elements of African cultures that would provide psychological support for captives who need to resist the process of enslavement. Because enslavement is an act of breaking the will and erasing the humanity of the enslaved, practices like voodoo um, in Haiti or obia in Trinidad and Jamaica were able to strengthen the revolutionary efforts of rebellious Africans. And so in the Haitian Revolution, you know, they were fueled by voodoo and the ceremonies that occurred then and were able to eventually, you know, free the people of Haiti and establish the first independent Black Republic in the New World in 1804. So other forms of cultural resistance and one of the main forms of cultural resistance was the preservation of African culture through creolization through the melding and the hiding in some cases of elements of African culture with um, European cultural forms to create these new cultures and new languages. Um, Creole is one example, particularly Antillian Creole, which is related to Haitian Creole. These languages helped to maintain um, some measure of identity for people who are be actively being stripped of it. Women, in particular, played a major role in this process of cultural resistance and cultural preservation because in African societies, they were African societies were often matrilineal and matrilocal, and women played a key role in passing traditions on to their daughters and other young women and to the community at large through storytelling and through um, the sharing of skills and beliefs and ideas. And so African women played a major role in keeping that tradition going and that lineage going, maintaining the memory of people like Anansi and Brer Rabbit and Mamadalu and Sukiyant and all these other folkloric figures who bear the marks of African traditions. Women under slavery also had to do what they could to resist the consistent um, violence, sexual violence that was um, being done to them by their colonial masters. Um, Abortion and um, birth control um, and other forms of pr- resistance against sexual assault, resisting their masters, feigning illness, all of these things worked to not necessarily protect them, but to keep them going and try to stave off the worst elements of violence that was being a done to them. As I mentioned, the Haitian Revolution and it being fueled by voodoo and whatnot, it really scared 
planters across the Caribbean and across the world, really. Like, this was the first time something like this had ever happened before. And I'm sure uh, the U.S. audience knows a bit about the consequences in the U.S., how, you know, Southern slave masters were so terrified by the Asian Revolution, how France um, imposed restrictions on Haiti and how the U.S. and other European powers were complicit in that attempt to strangle the first Black Republic. But there were cases in other parts of the Caribbean where planters, um, in their terror, used the Haitian Revolution as an excuse to crack down on the enslaved. Um, For example, in Trinidad, in the Christmas of 1805, the Haitian Revolution ended in 1804. So in Christmas of 1805, um, the planters were so afraid and had already seen some acts of poisoning that were occurring on some of the estates because part of the cultural resistance involved the passing down of certain recipes and poisons and concoctions. And so many enslavers, you know, fell victim, quote unquote, to poisoners. And so they had to try to find a way to prevent what they saw was a planned uprising. They basically invented this idea of a conspiracy in their paranoia that was meant to wipe out this entire slave-holding population in Trinidad in one go. So, of course, as historians have uncovered, the conspiracy most likely didn't actually exist, or, or maybe perhaps not to the, the scale that um, the slave owners thought, but it was more so an attempt um, by the planters to impose greater authoritarian rule. As Christmas Day in 1805 approached, the details of this conspiracy, of this plot, started to be uncovered by the planters. Um, they thought that, you know, at this place called Shan's Estate, enslaved people were organizing to launch the, re- the revolution. And of course, this terrified them because. At that point in time, the enslaved population was somewhere around 20,000, whereas the white slave-owning class was like half that number. And so the authorities declared martial law and apprehended those involved, if they were even involved. Oftentimes, they were not. But it does bring attention to an important part of enslaved resistance, and that being the conspiracy and actual existence of slave secret societies. Secret societies are something that are, is something that's common in the African mainland where tribal rights and initiations and advancements through those rights um, in secret groupings would occur um, to sort of denote levels of rank or maturity. And so in Trinidad slave society, as different tribes mixed and mingled on plantations, for security reasons, these secret societies continued, but had assimilated some European systems of order and designation. So they gave themselves names like major 
or captain and describe their societies as regiments. And the echoes, the descendants of those societies still exist to this day in Trinidad. They are highly obscured. I honestly don't know much details about them. I just know that I have some friends whose relatives um, are involved in those secret societies. And in some places, like for example, Grand Coover, where enslaved people seized the land and sort of held that land and kept it and passed it down across the generations, um, such secret societies and membership in such secret societies is not unheard of. So is is what the the modern ish versions of them do like what 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 are they doing, I guess? Like these days, if, if that's something that is I don't if, know much okay. about um about them or how they operate. Yeah. And so I I don't think all secret societies in Trinidad are descended from enslaved secret societies, like Obviously not. There are other um, secret societies. There are societies of doctors and of lawyers and different trades. Um, there are, of course, Mason groups as well. And I only know the most um, superficial details of most of these groups. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that comes up a lot. There, there's a whole bunch of like these sort of secret society groups that like wind up being part of the 1911 revolution in China, but they sort of like most of them kind of go bandit like after the revolution happens. And so it's, it's interesting to see, I guess like different contexts where they don't seem to have like just overtly turned into organized crime groups. Right. What's the, so like organized crime groups descended from secret societies in China. Yeah. Like the well, triads, for example. Yeah. I, I actually don't, think the triad descended from them a couple of them joined the communists a lot of them kind of got wiped out in the sort of just general warlord fighting and then some of them kind of got stomped up by the communists because they were basically turned into organized like their own organized crime things that were sort of distinct from the other ones that existed but right there were seven major rebellions in the colony of jamaica between 1673 and 1686 and several others in Antigua, in Nevis, in Virgin Islands, in, you know, Barbados, in just across the Caribbean, there was continual African resistance and rebellion. And that really is what struck fear in the slaveholders at the time. In one case, um, in 1733, during the Amina Rebellion on St. John, which is part of the Danish Virgin Islands, or was part of the Danish Virgin Islands, the African insurgents took control of the island for six months before being defeated. And the most slave rebellions really occurred in Jamaica. In fact, more than all the other colonies, more than all the other British colonies in the Caribbean combined. Um, one of the most famous of the Jamaican rebellions was one that started in 1760 by a man known as Taki, and it lasted for over a year before being suppressed by British colonial forces. Because Jamaica's population was massively, um, overwhelmingly black in comparison to the very small minority of large slaveholding whites, they were more likely to launch and more likely to succeed in slave revolts. Um, slave revolts are more likely to happen, of course, where slaves outnumber whites, where masters are absent, 
where there's economic distress, where there are splits within the ruling elite, um, and when, you know, large numbers of native one Africans from one area are brought in one time, which is why they often had to split up their, the people that they captured so they wouldn't be able to collaborate with their kin. We often remember the flashier forms of revolt, such as the revolt in St. Joseph in 1837, led by Daga, who was a former African chief in Guinea and the leader of the first British West India Regiment. Um, he mutinied along with 240 men and although they were taken into custody and sentenced to death, they marked just one example of the sort of bold actions that were taken by enslaved people in Tobago um, in the year 1770. There were numerous armed revolts over the next 11 years, from 1770 to 1801. Six armed revolts, one by, led by an enslaved man named Sandy in 1770, two in 1771, one in June and the other in August, one in 1773, another in 1774, another in 1801. And so these revolts were not concentrated in one specific area of the island. They would happen, in some cases, over the entire island. Tobago was, of course, separate from Trinidad until 1899, where it became a ward of Trinidad and Tobago. But, and so their histories, the history of Trinidad and the history of Tobago, were separate, running separately for the first couple hundred years of the age of colonization. But Tobago's history of resistance is still connected in some ways to Trinidad's history of resistance in the sense of the bold actions that were taken by enslaved people. Of course, not all resistance to slavery was so bold. Day-to-day -day resistance was by far the most common form of opposition to slavery, whether it be through feigning illness, staging slowdowns, pretending ignorance, deliberate carelessness, arson, sabotage, breaking tools, these sorts of expressions, while they reinforced previously held perceptions of enslaved Africans at the time, they also were ways of enslaved people to express their alienation and to sort of carve some level of space or breathing room or to give themselves some sense of catharsis in that brutal period. And so what we see is a sort of continuum of resistance from that sort of individual level of slowing down or feigning ignorance or what or whatever to the sort of broader cultural methods of passive resistance, such as, you know, cultivating and passing down culture and cultural memories to the more bold aspects of resistance, such as revolts and rebellions and revolutions. And of course, there was the practice of maroonage, both petite and grand maroonage. Petite maroonage was an effort by individuals or groups of enslaved people to escape from their plantations. Um, permanently 
sometimes, but usually for a limited amount of time to escape mistreatment, to negotiate better treatment, or to even just catch a break, honestly. Grand Marinage is more commonly understood and recognized, where communities of fugitive slaves would establish communities on the fringes, in the swamps of Louisiana, for example, or in the um, mountains of Jamaica. And these maroon communities have been established since the very beginning, since the early 16th century, when the first enslaved Africans were brought to the Caribbean by the Spanish. They would often unite with Amerindians, whether it be, you know, Tainos or Kalinagos or Guahanatabes, and unite with them in their resistance, in carving out settlements or strongholds of safety. For example, in 1546 in Hispaniola, there were over 7,000 Maroons among a slave population of 30,000. After the island was split between the French Saint-Domingue, which is, later, which is now known as Haiti, and the Spanish Santo Domingo, which is Dominican Republic, in 1697, Maroons took advantage of the hostility between France and Spain to maintain settlements along the border between the two throughout the period of slavery. In addition, there were Maroons in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, and in some cases with Puerto Rico. Fugitive slaves from the Virgin Islands would literally set sail to Puerto Rico to settle and escape the enslavement there. In Jamaica, of course, there were many Maroon communities. And in fact, there is still an active Maroon community in Jamaica to this day that has persisted and maintained their traditions. Um, in St. Kitts, in Antigua, in Barbados, in Martinique, and Guadeloupe, all of these islands have had maroon communities established. Um, however, as European cultivation of the islands increased, as Europeans ventured further and further into the islands, into the depths of the islands, it became more and more difficult to establish maroon settlements. Because if you look at, especially some of the smaller islands, it's kind of difficult to hide or to establish any sort of sustainable community on the fringes of an island that you could easily jog from one side to the other or, you know, walk from one side to the other. Of course, even on those smaller islands, there were still attempts to maintain maroon settlements, such as in St. Vincent or Dominica. In St. Vincent, the Garifuna, which are an indigenous group mixed, who mixed with Africans, preserved their, their independence against both French and the British. And they ended up spreading to, um, if I recall correctly, Central America as well. And so the Garifuna community is still very much alive and well to this day. In Jamaica and Cuba and Guadeloupe and in Hispaniola, Maroon communities were able to last longer because they had um, more mountainous terrain to hide in, particularly in Jamaica. Um, but there were also Maroon communities on the South American mainland. You know, in Brazil, there was the famous maroon community or Quilombo known as Palmares, which has existed for nearly 100 years from 1605 to 1694. They resisted invasion by both the Dutch and Portuguese 
and had at least 10,000 organized um, members ready to defend their um, population. They were governed by a king who used the political traditions drawn from Central Africa, but they unfortunately were eventually destroyed. In the Guyanas, French Guyana, um, British Guyana, which is now called Guyana, um, Dutch Guyana, which is now called Suriname, Maroon communities were also able to establish themselves and they still persist to this day due to the um, Amazon rainforest and the riverways that allowed them to conceal themselves from colonial encroachment. Of course, in the U.S., there were also maroon communities like the Black Seminoles of Florida or the maroon communities in, um, I believe it was Louisiana. In most places, of course, maroon communities were not very large um, or often did not last very long. They were usually small guerrilla bands led by an elected chief. But of course, these small bands, in their, although they were small, that sort of protected them to some extent from detection and from recapture. In Cuba, for example, there were hundreds of small maroon communities and they were guarded and they, were, and they had their settlements guarded by ditches and stakes and secret paths. And these settlements communicated with each other while remaining isolated so they could grow their own crops and hunt and fish and trade in peace, sometimes with other islands, in order to prevent, again, capture and destruction. I think there's a lot that we can learn from the different forms of resistance, small and large, that enslaved people undertook throughout the period of colonial settlement and expansion and enslavement. Elements of their practices that I think could be applied to today's struggles. Do you have any thoughts before we wrap? Yeah, one thing I kind of want to plug is... Uh... Russell Maroon Schultz wrote a really interesting, I, I don't know exactly what the the name for it, essay, I guess, called The Dragon in the Hydra, which is yes. a study, yes. yeah, yeah, it's called Dragon in the Hydra, a study of, historical study of organizational methods, and it's about basically a comparison of, like, different, different kinds of resistance to uh, colonialism and enslavement that talks a lot about the maroon movement talks about sort of the 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 the, the, the problems that these sort of like highly centralized top-down movements ran into versus the kind of stuff that the that these sort of more decentralized uh less hierarchical maroon movements face and it's it's really interesting and i it's pretty short so everyone should just read it because it's great yeah 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 he covers the u.s haiti suriname and Jamaica, and, you know, how those different maroon communities dealt with their conditions. I'm pretty sure he wrote this from prison, too, if I'm remembering my timeline history correctly. Yeah, so I, I highly recommend folks give that a read. I mean, I don't want to give the impression that maroon communities were these, like, valiant utopias. I mean, in some cases, maroon communities were manipulated um, against the other and often in exchange for maintaining their autonomy, 
they were made to sign treaties where they would have to turn in um, fugitives. So it was not by any means a perfect yeah. situation to be in, but they were trying to carve out their survival. Yeah, I guess. Do you want to plug your stuff? <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at underscore Saint True and on YouTube, Saint Andrewism, where I have lots of stuff. I mean, if you were interested in, for example, the details of how spirituality played a role in African resistance, I have a video on that. If you were interested in, you know, how Oluwada Ikwainu established the Sons of Africa group and how that was one of the foundations of what eventually became the Pan-Africanist movement. I have a video on Pan-Africanism that you could check out. So, yeah, that's it for me. That was great. I didn't know there were still maroon communities, actually. Yeah, yeah. The one in Jamaica, Mm -hmm. um, the one in Suriname, they are still very much alive and well. Yeah, that's fascinating. Ah, St. Andrew, thank you for that. That was wonderful. And uh, that's that's our episode for today. So go home and doom scroll for several hours, probably. Or or do something productive. Or like take, a something productive. Take, a yeah, take a nap. Take a nap. Walk outside or something. Pet a cat. <laughs> Bake some cookies. Hand out food to people who are hungry. You know. Bake some cookies and then hand out the cookies to people yeah. who need it. <laughs> or doom scroll. You know, all productive things that are. Some significantly more productive you. than others. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, friends. That's uh, that's the episode. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Oh. Robert, do better. What? Try harder. No, uh, that's how you start a podcast. This is It Could Happen Here. That's right. That's Robert talking. That's right also. With us today Both of these things is, are accurate. Uh, Christopher Wong and Garrison Davis. Do your podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks, that was, Sophie. So that was, we're all <laughs> gathering today on on the day after what I think will go down as the single most momentous moment in the 21st century. When <laughs> Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars. So the entire world has pivoted from obsession with the massive land war in Eastern Europe uh, to discussing how Chris Rock getting slapped is like the massive land war in Eastern Europe. Or um, or, or 9-11. Or 9-11, yes, yes, yes. So it's a it's an amazing time, like an unprecedentedly incredible time to be on, on Twitter right now. Uh, that said, we're going to talk about Nazi cat boys today. I, yeah. I've, I've seen everyone's posts on the subreddit being like, why aren't you guys giving blow by blows about the war in Ukraine. Uh, no, no, and no, this is, this is the most you. pressing topic. And we're going to well, talk about Nazi cat boys. <laughs> previous to the Chris Rock slap, this is the most pressing topic of the 21st century, um, mm-hmm. is why there's Nazi cat boys. And now we're going to talk about it. Well, because, um, I mean, the roots of the crisis in Ukraine are the different kinds of cat boys that Zelensky and Putin are. <laughs> Yes, Robert, that we'll, is we'll true. We'll mock some fan art up. It's going to be fine. We, I'm sure I'm sure we'll find some horrible fan art. Yes. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we, have, we have to figure out if uh, if Putin's ever watched Helsing, and then we'll be able to know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means, but okay. You're, you're about to find out. Oh, great. <laughs> <sighs> so uh... we, we, have, we have gathered here today to talk about, to talk about uh, the curious case of why there are Nazi cat boys. Um, Throughout, throughout 2020 and 2021, uh, TikTok and Twitter pushed femboys and catboys into kind of the cultural mainstream, plunging these once much more niche subcultures out of the dark depths of 4chan, Reddit, Tumblr, and Discord. And uh, the, the latest rebirth of these kind of gender-bending communities is pretty socially progressive and affirming uh gen- like generally most most femboys catboys are 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 lefties there's a whole bunch of like twitter communists i'm sure there's a whole bunch of catboys who like stalin or something um but they they're generally more generally more on the left uh but 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 
for for those who've dug deeper into the history and origins of these internet subcultures, you may have found a dark, racist, and hateful underbelly. So we're going to talk about that today. I do have to note, Garrison, as soon as you said that, I found a Stalinist cat boy. That's, see, this it's, is, it, it is. It, the, the, the Twitter, it's an incredible account. So the their their background <laughs> image for their Twitter account is a picture of Deng Xiaoping and the Ayatollah of Iran <laughs> having a meeting. Oh, boy. Um, their, yeah. their PFP is a lavender-haired... Uh, it's like I'm, a it's like an anime picker avatar cat boy. Yeah, thing. yeah, 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 with like a Soviet hat and then Marxist yeah. Leninist bisexual cat boy. Stalin did nothing wrong at North Korea uh, stand. Incredible. <laughs> this, it's, it, incredible. Wow. <laughs> See, this is this is this is why the left will never win. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's like, perfect. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is like illegal. In most of those countries, it sh- like, well, I, it Stalin should, would have had this person it shot sh- in a the second someone tried to describe a cat boy to Joseph Stalin, he would have had this person executed. Oh yeah! Oh like, wow! Yeah, I see. I see it now. That is that is intense. Outstanding. Well, you I know, the thing it. is, this type of thing is not going to be uncommon. We're going to be again. We're going to be going into like actual fascists who are also cat mm-hmm. boys, and obviously they would have been uh, would mm-hmm. have been killed for being degenerates as well. But now we're going to kind of talk about how this how this kind of came to be and uh, i i've been writing this for like over a year actually i've interviewed a few people for this that have kind of contributed to the script and initially this was going to be conceived as a video um and you can't really talk about these things in a video format without uh dressing up like uh, a silly character so i am i'm wearing uh, a very actually a very very high quality catboy outfit right now which the audio will just have to you'll have to you'll have to see it through the audio so mm-hmm. Good luck with that synesthesia. Um, yeah. 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 So I mean, you are at the same time, you've done that enough that I don't know that anyone really noticed. <laughs> I've never dressed as a cat boy for a recording before. You dress as something every other recording. That's true. I dress as something. I generally dress as something. So first section one, section one, what is, what is a cat boy? What is, what is, what is this? Um, so but first of all, a few ground rules we'll be circling back to often. Um, one, not all catboys and femboys identify as LGBT or queer. Um, and two, uh, gay people can still be racist. These are these these are these these are two points that we're going to be coming back to over the course of these of, of these uh, deep dive episodes. So, mm-hmm. f- first things first, let's 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 define what a catboy is for all of the boomers in the audience. Um, and if you are if you are a boomer listening to this, uh, how I am. Seri- why? How did you find this? Why are? Why did you choose to listen to this? Garrison, the instant I became a boomer was the first time you tried to describe explain cat boys to me. Like I, I, I yeah. suddenly developed a strong opinion on H.R. Haldeman because of because of you. So that was a most, Nixon most administration sim- joke. But most simply, um, mm-hmm. a cat boy is uh, this. What what I'm doing right now. So someone who is kind of kind of boyish. Who, uh, who, who, who sometimes enjoys dressing in cat-like apparel? I guess it's like cat ears. It is different from furries. From and we will, we will get into this. Um, That's good. I mean, I, but I, I'm definitely less boyish than I first was when I wrote this like a year ago. Uh, now that I'm on recreational estrogen, but ne- nevertheless, uh, someone who's a boyish and dresses or likes to dress in cat-like kind of uh, uh, outfits generally on an anime trajectory of aesthetics 
Uh, now this is this is this is different from furries for multiple reasons. Uh, the physical cat-like attributes on catboys are mostly confined to ears and paws, sometimes with tails, but it's it's iffy. Um, whereas you know furries like to have like the full fursuit thing going on, whereas catboys they still have like human faces and they wear like human clothes. So this is a, actually a very key difference, which will lots which will... of maid costumes, like and yes, a lot. And the other other big kind of recurring trope. Um, is that is that well they well catboys generally usually wear clothes is that they usually dress up in something similar to like a French maid outfit, um yeah. or or like different outfits that like anime girls will wear so like the tennis skirt thing but generally a maid outfit to anime trajectory so th- despite despite the animal ears right d- d- despite like the furry cat ears the catboy or cat girl thing has much more in common with the femboy community. Than the furry community in a lot of instances, but more, 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 more on that later. So, after some initial research into the Nazi catboy meme, I decided it would be useful for um, uh, tracing back the roots of this kind of odd online phenomenon to broaden the scope of research to include femboys as well, uh, which is succinctly just catboys without the cat part. It's like boys who, or generally male identifying people who dress in like feminine ways, um, not. A lot of femboys will turn out to be trans. Not all of them do. A lot of femboys identify as straight. Uh, but, you know, like to wear, you know, boys generally kind of in the twink variety who likes to wear skirts, dresses, whatever. So I'm about to move into section two, which gets a little bit more silly. Um, but but yeah, so femboys. Oh, more silly. Ah, great. It's, <laughs> I'm excited. It's, this, this doesn't get less silly as we go on. But but yeah, catboys, femboys, femboys identify as male, dress up in more stereotypically feminine ways. There's a lot of similarity and uh, crossover between femboys and catboys. Um, but since femboys have more of an established online history, uh, including them in the research seems like the best way to kind of dig into like the fascist femboy, Nazi catboy idea. So speaking of section two, the racist femboy meme, uh, the, the past, the past few years, there's been kind of a growing meme and perception across social media that femboys are like really racist. Um, and just, kind of pretty fashy in general um even really homophobic and transphobic in, in a lot of in a lot of senses as much as a homophobic or transphobic femboy may seem contradictory at first but again more <laughs> more on this later um so when i'm talking about this going forward i'm probably gonna be mixing words and terms like nazi and fascist and alt-right or far-right now not not all of these racist femboys are what i would call nazis by any means um and not 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 all advocate for or even joke about genocide, uh, but there were absolutely recruitment attempts from self-described Nazis. And, you know, the line between jokes and actual beliefs is intentionally very foggy in this kind of internet subculture. So I'll kind of be lazily lumping together everything from racist to far, far right-wing folks for the sake of simplicity. Because uh, it's all, like, in the same spectrum. And like I mentioned at the beginning, not all femboys and catboys identify as being queer. Um, and gay people can still be racist. These are these are points we're going to be c- circling back to a lot. So, at, at this point, the alt right femboy meme has kind of actually or- overshadowed the actual phenomenon of it happening. Right uh, in the past few years, the popularity of leftist femboys has skyrocketed. Yet, if you still do digging on like Twitter or Discord, you can indeed find users who appear to be femboys, but are also everything from racist to just openly fascist. Now, naturally, that leaves people wondering, how can one have such a kind of contradictory lifestyle and belief system? Which leads us to section three, the internet. And that's it. That's kind of that's the answer. We, that's, we can kind of pack it up here. Um, 
We, that's the answer. It's the internet. That's that's why that that's why this has happened. So this um, is Al Gore's fault. Is what I'm getting out of this. Yeah, sure. Whatever. whatever. Gar- it's, it's... Garrison, are you are you are have you been caught up on why people say Al Gore invented the internet? On where that joke came from? Are you no. aware of the, the etymology? No. What? Oh no. boy. Oh, you, you have to you have to remember Chris Garrison's. <laughs> oh no! Right, you were born after 2000. I was, oh. I was. So there was like Al Gore was among a bunch of different people who like voted to fund some of the different government kind of projects that became the internet, right? Like you had the ARPANET and shit, all that stuff. Like he was one of the people who like pushed that. And then in the debate with George Bush while running for president in uh, 2000, he uh, like basically made some claims that you could uncharitably translate as him saying that he invented the internet. Um, He didn't actually say that. It was more like he was saying, well, I, you know, supported from an early stage the development of the internet, but it got turned into like Al Gore claimed to have invented the internet because it was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Abstraction, essentialism. Yes. And and so now that's 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 the joke is is. Even though he he didn't really he just okay. was not you know but, anyway that's so the joke Garrison so, there you go so Welcome. we can we can blame Nazi cat boys on on Al Gore great absolutely well that that does it for us today um you can find us on wait okay we still have a few, we still have like half an episode to do um, <laughs> that's good all right well here's here's speaking of uh of of Al Gore and the internet here's some ads brought to you by the internet oh boy those ads were so good. They made me want to be a cat. Okay. All right. (laughs) Wow. Moving on. uh, If you're in any way familiar with fascism, you are probably aware that one of uh, its more consistent traits is that it's notoriously ideologically inconsistent. Um, So for for this project, I interviewed multiple people who have a more personal history in the catboy and femboy online communities than I do. Um, so those interviews, plus my own online digging through like hundreds of threads from various forum websites, uh, I've I've literally looked through hundreds hundreds of catboy posts on 4chan. But doing doing all that has been very helpful for understanding kind of this intersection of politics and subculture. And since I did all this research, you don't need to. So there you go. Um, but one of the first kind of big takeaways I had after the research and interviews is that the Nazi femboy catboy thing is not actually unique at all in terms of internet radicalization. It just has some aesthetic abnormalities that can confuse onlookers or normies, uh, which makes the internet phenomenon seem more outlandish than it actually is. Uh, But before we dig deeper into this litter box of hate, I would like to divide the femboy uh, and catboy kind of racism spectrum into actually two, two succinct categories first. Um, we have we have type one, which I'm calling the femfash, people who are initially into the femboy community and aesthetic and then got introduced into far right politics online. And then we have type two, the fash femme, people who were already into far right politics and only then got introduced to the femboy community online. So I, I usually break down lots of instances of fascists mixing with various subcultures into these like similar like two two categories of people starting off with politics and then getting into the culture, and then people starting off with the culture, then getting into politics. Uh, I think it's actually kind of, it, it, it's useful for understanding a whole bunch of how there's like differences between different types of fascist people in various subcultures. So these two types I'm going I'm to be using to help to help talk about these, the different kind of strains of, uh, of the fascist femboy. 
for for now, we're gonna focus on the first one, the the femfash. So let's 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 wind let's wind the clocks back. Let's say a decade. Uh, broadly, gay people can't get married, uh, and to, to most kids, trans people are ostensibly a myth. Um, so, what kind of person's gonna become a femboy in this in this type of in this type of environment? Uh, simplest answer is like a certain sect of social outcasts and anime nerds, as well as some people who maybe don't consciously know or accept that they're queer yet. Uh, really, the only way to get initially exposed to the femboy aesthetic back then was via anime, manga, hentai, porn, and, you know, select video games, specifically multiplayer games, and random internet browsing, right? This, this, is, this is how you're going to get exposed to this type of aesthetic. In fact, one of the probably the oldest example of a Nazi catboy is from an anime called Helsing, where they had uh, they had mm. this uh, Nazi catboy character uh, who is the who was the source of a lot of Nazi catboy memes on 4chan. Like it's a very very popular meme figure, um, and this is I think a lot of where that aesthetic tied to fascism actually really starts from. But of course, there's a lot of fascist fans of anime in general, so the the type of aesthetics that the t- the type of aesthetics of femininity that anime kind of presents get used by fascism a lot, even among like their more like cottagecore styles. It's still a v- that very like patriarchal um, type of femininity that is popular among Japanese animation. So now the reasons that someone might be drawn to this specific community can vary from person to person. Uh, maybe they just don't feel as connected to like the hyper macho masculine style that American culture promotes. Uh, maybe it's a way to get attention and validation. Or maybe you just like wearing skirts or find it kind of hot. There's, but there's, and there's, there's always the possibility that someone is trans or gay and they just don't fully know it yet. This is a case with a lot of these people, actually. Um, but some, some of you may be surprised to hear that before our modern TikTok femboy craze, most femboys did self-identify as straight and cis. Uh, there is a lot of reasons for this, including like increased homophobia and transphobia back then. Plus, like non-binary was hardly even a thing, uh, like culturally at that at that point. Um, one of the people I interviewed for this project talked about how some of the cis straight femboys he knew back then now do identify as trans or queer. Um, but back then, that wasn't really the case. Um, the other person I interviewed for this called themselves a cisgender femboy at the time of the interview, but has now since come out as trans. So like, it is it is definitely a recurring pattern, but it's not a thing for everybody. Like there is definitely like a lot like a lot of these people do call themselves straight even still now. Um and that is something that a lot of kind of people don't have a don't have the easiest time kind of comprehending. That's what I'm gonna what I'm gonna kind of try to get into. So let's 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 say you're a kid, a young teen in like 2011. You're getting into anime and video games. Uh, what kind of websites are you gonna gravitate to? Right, you're gonna gravitate to Reddit. You're gonna gravitate to 4chan, um, especially in like 2010. Right, these are the these are kind of the cultural meccas of of those types of type types types of subcultures. So. What is prevalent on these websites? Well, on 4chan, we have uh, Slash B, which is their random channel, mm. um, which also has a not safe work designation. And it was often flooded with femboy pics. Um, and since there are so few female users of that site, you see a lot of hentai and occasionally boys dressing up like not safe for work female anime characters. Uh, just because there's pe- people still like femininity, but there's so few actual girls using those sites that the femininity that you see is either through anime or it's through kind of cross-dressing. Um, then there's also the slash D page, which is just completely dedicated to hentai. So you get a lot of a lot of a lot of that type of like anime style of femininity through kind of the, that type of a 
appropriation and, fet and fetishization on the Slash D page. So there's, there's a decent chance that anime and gaming nerds that browse their interests online will get exposed to femboy stuff at some point, right? N nowadays, it's Discord, used to be 4chan, used to be Reddit. So it becomes this type of figure eight infinity loop of people who are exposed to something and then start propagating it and get exposed to new people to it. And it's this like continuous cycle. Because if, if you're a kid who discovers they kind of like this super niche, almost taboo thing, where are you going to go to find other like-minded people? You're going to go back to online multiplayer gaming, Reddit, and 4chan. It's, 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 all, it's all the same circles. So if, if, even if you don't get exposed to it in places like 4chan, you're probably going to end up there or somewhere similar regardless. And the other, other, and, and the other thing that's important to talk about, uh, which is going to talk about like how, how the femboys start getting into politics, is like who else is very prevalent and actively recruiting on these types of sites, with, on, like, on, on multiplayer gaming, on Reddit, on 4chan. It's it's Nazis, right? The the, the people who are who are into very far right politics try to mask try to mask some of their beliefs initially in like humor and memes. You know, a lot a large of a large part of internet radicalization is done through is done through memes, especially especially back in 2010. There's like so so many like memes is a, memes is a social and recruitment tool were very very common, um, so especially on like you know if you're on like an image board that that's the whole point is that you're sharing images. Um, so a big part of this overrepresentation of racists in the femboy community was simply the online proximity between these groups of people, between the femboys and then the fascists on 4chan, early Reddit, and certain online games, whether it be like Second Life, whether it be like MMOs, you know, all these types of places. Any, any, any place that you can like design your own character as well, you got, got a lot of this type of uh, like anime femboy type thing, because a lot of, uh, a lot of these games that are made in Japan can like give like more feminine options for like male characters or just have like cap boy like ears and stuff available as a cosmetic option so a, a lot a lot of this fetish fetishization that we see on 4chan and on the early, and in the early 2000s and 2010s is now is now applied to discord like this is, did kind of carry over uh 4chan's obviously not the kind of cultural behemoth that it used to be a lot of this stuff just happens on discord now um, where you can kind of cultivate online communities that are more self-contained. So throughout the entirety of the 20-teens, uh, fascism was pretty successful in festering among nerd spaces, right? Nerds and geeks of many types, whether that be gaming or anime or these more like esoteric communities, esoteric as in like niche, um, but these com communities, generally they attract people who are more disenfranchised, right? And femboys generally feel disenfranchised in one way or another, which just pushes them into this, you know, less mainstream subculture. At this point, they could be pretty easy targets for fascist recruiters to start suggesting that maybe some of their problems in the world are actually coming from feminism, immigrants stealing jobs, affirmative action, and slowly leading into talk of like IQ and racism and anti-Semitism. So for those who found these ideas initially like abhorrent, uh, it can be explained that all this talk is simply edgy jokes and irony attempting to trigger the normies, which is a big part of that type of propagation of this type of humor and then politics masters hu humor on these sites and on these like gaming chats. This isn't unique to femboys or catboys in any way, right? The, the, the more people I interviewed and the more kind of old forums that I read, I started to actually see stuff that seemed much more familiar um, and there's a lot of parallels between this far-right femboy thing and the far-right furry uh, phenomenon, which I know uh, Robert and the Worst You Ever podcast put together two episodes 
that do a great job kind of talking mm-hmm. about the far right. The only furry. real episode of the worst year ever that we ever got to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, could you, I guess, just briefly kind of talk about the 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 furry the furry kind of thing and how that because there is there's a lot there's even though these cultures are different between femboys and furries the tactics that fascists used to get into these communities is is exactly the same um and it kind of plays on the same same tropes yeah i mean it's weird so you've got i i think it kind of harkens to the fact that like whenever you have a fandom no matter kind of what the fandom is about or the message of the media it's about, you're going to have like Nazis in it. Um, and and that's obviously like Star Wars, right? Where yeah. the point of Star Wars is em- empire, bad empire, basically space Nazis, bad guys. And there's a whole bunch of people who have just like made that into their life and get tattoos of the Imperial sigil or whatever on their fucking chest. Uh, or you've got like Disney movies where like there's these, there's weirdos who will, take far right nationalist messages out of like every like everything everything has its nazis the punk community right punk music is supposed yes. to be anti-authoritarian um and kind of inherently left-wing but there's nazi punks so like it, it it's all like it, every community has their nazis and the furries are no different one of the things that does make the furries different is i think because of how and this this is something probably you're a little too young. I mean, I guess a lot of our audience may have missed out on aspects of, but like early on in the internet, and I'm I'm talking like the first decade of actual internet culture from like 1995 or 96 to like 2005 or six, which is really the first decade of like mass internet culture. The punching bag of the entire internet was was furries. Like they were yeah. the people that like it was the safest to make fun of, um, jokes about like killing them, all sorts of really fucked up shit. Um, and so I think they developed kind of this um, very strong defensive impulse within the community. And so while every subculture has their Nazis, the furries have gone kind of the furthest in documenting and um, working to like ostracize those people. And they've done they, – they're on the level with like punks in terms of the the degree to which they have – like that has become kind of a guiding yeah. principle for a lot of furries. Um, yeah. Is that kind of what you were looking for? Yeah, because a big, a, a big, and the thing you mentioned about like furries being such the punching bag. Oh that's God, something, yeah. That's that's something that Nazis even definitely kind of grasp onto as a way to do grooming and recruitment, right? Is if 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 fascists can present themselves as friends to these people who are always punched down upon, then they can kind of put them into their in groups, right? They can they can support them, give them give them a sense of validation, give them a sense of community. Tell them that like they they uh, they belong. You're 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 always going to be kicked out of like uh, like real life social groups, right? You can only exist here with us. We're gonna we understand you, like right? They can they can kind of foster this thing, even even though obviously it's dealing with things that are not the most like not the most like cis and straight thing in terms of like regular heterosexuality. Um, like, like a lot of a lot of furries are straight, but like in terms of like the way they approach that is is definitely different uh, than a lot of regular people. But they, so white supremacists and different fascists can like grasp onto this, grasp onto this kind of disenfranchisement and offer this sense of community. Um, be, you know, be very friendly initially, be, being very, being very kind of open these people and start and start, you know, the term would be like red pilling them, right? Um, to talk about that a lot of their social issues are actually, you know, the fault of SJWs, talking about these, you know, 
uh, all of these Jewish bankers. You know, it, it can start. You can start crafting the propaganda very carefully if you're friends with them first, and then only start slowly introducing them into your more extremist kind of view of politics. Yeah, it's it just no one's really surprised when an anime nerd or like a capital G gamer starts spewing far right talking points. But when a femboy does, that just seems off because like aren't they also a degenerate, right? Like like that's like what it, there is a bit of a cognitive dissonance there. Um and like yes and no, right? You you may be overestimating some people's commitment to the fascist cause here. Cuz a recurring pattern I found when talking to people with history in these communities, especially if they're more of like the femfash variety, right? Starting off, st starting off with femboy aesthetics, then getting into being racist and 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 like like pretty racist, and then getting into fascism, is that look looking back, these people and they say like themselves and others, all of their kind of parroting of racist and fascist talking points, especially online, was like they claim much more due to having to like fit in with these with these already pretty reactionary online spaces um, and make friends at seemingly one of the few places that people with similar interests gather. You know, some people deep down don't really care about the political beliefs that much and we're more so looking for a community. And it just so happened that back then in the early 20 teens, the places where these communities of outcasts found each other were also places that other outcasts used racism as a lazy attention-seeking shock comedy and like the triggering of normies, which was basically like a sport on these on on these forums. Now, obviously, this is not excusing any abhorrent behavior and or horrible things said, but that whole idea plus the active like grooming and the active recruitment from Nazis made the nerdy outcast to fascist pipeline that we see today. That's really how it built up and became such a powerful tool, you know, in around 2016. Um, but there is there is the other the, so all of this just generally more applies to the people who are into femboy aesthetics and then got kind of railroaded into into nationalism and to fascism right it's because they they're femboys on these platforms there's also racists on these platforms so these things start to kind of mix but there's still that other type of femboy nazi um, the one who started off online with far right views and then discovered femboys and started to feel things We'll be starting by talking about them next on uh, on on part two, but I guess does anyone anyone have any any questions at least to close off part one about the more kind of femme fash variety of people who are generally kind of more regular politically, um, but are into into like femboy and catboy kind of aesthetics and then and then get put into 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 more reactionary ideas. Hmm. Uh, stay off the internet. Yeah, that's not a question, but yes, that is that is a that is a good uh, it's a good mission statement. But just, yeah, in terms of like in in terms of like the, I know this topic can whenever whenever I bring it up, I thought about this a lot. Whenever I try to explain it to people, there is always a bit of like, uh, that uh, how <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And I'll, I'll be getting to some of the more kind of semantics of it um, in in part two. But at least at least for like the initial initial kind of dive into how the online community aspect is used as such a powerful tool for people who are feeling so alone uh, that just the the idea of there being an online community, whether it be racist or not, can, is just super appealing. Uh, because if if everyone thinks that you're weird and an outcast, if these other people who are also weird and outcasts start kind of trying to make friends with you, then it can be a very powerful like recruitment tool. Um, which then, of course, yeah. they'll, they'll 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 be people. They'll be people. Yeah, 
who eventually try to like take them out of the whole femboy aesthetics in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, but a lot of fascists also get into the femboy aesthetic because of the because of the proximity issue, right? Because these things are so like next to each other. Well, and um, the thing you, you're I, the kind of important broader realization there, and this is something that a radicalization scholar named Scott Atron has been talking about for. 10 years now, probably more, is that people get radicalized in communities. People, yeah. like when we talk about radicalization, like why, like I, I guess the other half of the explainer that I started this with being like, you know, every subculture has their Nazis. It's not because, like the reason every subculture has their Nazis is that subcultures are, like people get radicalized as part of communities, as part of subcultures. They don't get radicalized as individuals. Just like people don't aren't just walking out in the world and and decide to become a Nazi. They become a Nazi because a Nazi reaches them in something they're already into. Right. Yeah. Like that that's just the way it happens. Yeah. There's definitely a large part of this is like a group of like group dynamics, especially mm -hmm. on places like forums where you're, you know, trying to trying to get like this like attention battle. Um, and I guess the other other big part about the femboy kind of idea, especially on image boards, is like it is such an attention seeking and validation seeking place, right? You you want to you want to post things that get you a lot of comments, likes, upvotes, whatever the kind of the metric is. Yeah. Um. So people will do things that get them visibility, even if even if half the people interacting with you are calling you a degenerate. At mm -hmm. least there's people still looking at you, right? At least you feel seen. Um, and then the other half people will be like, no, it's actually fine. Like, you know, so it, it, as long as there's that visibility and that, that sense of community, then a lot of the more cognitive, cognitive dissonance aspects can kind of be passed by. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into more of that for, for, we for, sure part, will. for, for part two. Um, anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at happen here pod and cool zone media. You can find me, uh, talking about cat boys occasionally on Twitter at hungry Bowtie. And <laughs> sound yeah. happy about it, Garrett. Well, it's you know I've I've been I've been trying to edit down this episode because the script was way too long. I've been trying to s make it more succinct the past few days. So my 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 uh my my <laughs> I am I am pretty excited to be to 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 close this Google Doc at the end of the day. Well, congratulations on all your hard work, Garrison, and listeners at home. Go dress like a cat boy. Yep. And and don't be a Nazi. Yeah, I mean that's also important. <laughs>Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Present ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Recording? In progress. All right. Well, that's my opening. Garrison? Welcome to part two of Why They're Nazi Cat Boys. Um... We're, what is this podcast, Garrison? It's, it could happen here. I'm talking Jesus. about the that the, shit together. The the cat boys of Nazis, <laughs> which did which did actually happen here. They're actually we'll, we'll talk about how they actually happened. Um, uh, but before we before we get into the topic of fascists becoming femboys via exposure, because I, I I do we're going to start off by talking about kind of well the, generally the bulk bulk of the episode is going to be talking about people who are fascists who then get into femboy aesthetics, right? Last episode, we talked about the femfash, people who are femboys who then get into fascism. Now we're talking about the fascists who now get into femboys. Um, but <laughs> before we get real into that, I think it's going to, I think it'd be helpful to get a bit more into what these online communities were like in the 20 teens. Um, now, all this info is like a combination of what I've gleaned from interviews, uh, uh, direct messages, my own pulling up of old like 4chan and Reddit threads. It may not necessarily reflect your own experiences perfectly, but it's the most in-depth I can do on an audio-only medium. Um, some won't be thrilled about this, but we do need to discuss traps um, and their place within oh, the online community oh, at the boy. time. Okay. Um, which means we must define. Which means we first must define an- another term for the uh, blissfully unaware. So uh, it's really heartbreaking, it, Gary, because when I was a child, Garrison, I know trap was was just a house where you hid your drugs. This um, is, it is. It is not a trap house. This is a d- different, tragic. different, different type tragic. of trap. This is this so, is this is be, this is before trap house turned into a podcast. Yeah, this and is, yeah. a bunch no, of New Yorker actually, people didn't know what a trap yeah. house was. This is great, heartbreaking. The My term, tra- but the term trap as we're using it here, um, at least on the internet, originates in the in the early two thousands on image boards, um, specifically four chan. Um, 
and it, it it got to be as it as it got more popular as a term got more kind of widely recognized as a slur uh specifically usually a slur against trans women um or a slur for like any like feminine presenting uh person who was assigned male at birth so it's it's its use and origins, at least on the internet, comes from uh, uh, people posting pictures, usually from anime, of very like feminine-looking boys, um, alongside the meme of Admiral Akbar saying it's a trap, right? So this 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 is how this idea of the trap kind of started, at least online. I talked with some like other trans friends of mine. They say that it definitely they, in their opinion, they 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 remember it being a term even before the the two thousands on the internet of being kind of more of a slur towards trans women. Um, I can't find any kind of stuff online about that specific angle, but the term the term may be older than that offline, but at least the online use of it uh, really comes from the Admiral Akbar meme. Um, so, of course, the it's a trap idea kind of implies some form of deceptions at play, right, with these drawings that appear feminine, but may actually be depicting adolescent males or, you know, worse, transsexuals, right? Woo, very scary. Um so this this soon got transferred over from being applied to anime drawings to being applied to pictures and then in-person encounters of real femboys or trans people. Um, so, you know, it's as in, like, if you found someone that looks female enough, as the meme would go, um, if to be attractive and later found out that they were actually a boy or they were a trans woman, the idea was that, like, you were deceived, thus you must be on the lookout for any kind of potential attractiveness of femboys or trans women, or else you too might be trapped. Um, so, this, again, this is, it's, it's, it's often, it's a... Uh, very transphobic and it's like it's comparing femboys to trans women because those are those are not the same thing um obviously there's is a very very hashtag problematic for a lot of reasons um but there, there's also the uh the the meme of the of uh, are traps gay which is referring to a kind of like satirical <sighs> debate around whether or not it's gay to find a femboy uh, a male crossdresser or even a, a trans woman attractive um, now, the meme does riff on the whole, like, fellas, is it gay thing. Um, and gee whiz, am I glad the fellas meme has surpassed the R-Traps gay meme? Mm, uh, yeah. Obviously, obviously, not only is the R-Traps gay thing pretty homophobic and transphobic, um, it's also tied to a lot of, like, real-world violence against yeah. trans women by men, uh, a la the trans panic defense, right? Uh, the, 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 whole, the, the whole trap idea kind of does tie into the trans panic defense a lot of, uh, you know, men who claim they simply had to attack or kill trans women once they found out yep. that, uh, that she had a dick, right. Or maybe used to have a dick, not even anymore. Right. It doesn't yeah. even matter. It's um, more commonly or commonly called the trans panic defense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like yeah. the mere thought of that was so scary that they just, they use the trans panic defense in court when violence against trans women is enacted. Now, obviously this is also much more, uh, attacks against trans women in this vein are much more common on uh, trans women of color uh, than 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 white trans women. That's another that's another important thing to mention. Um, but, but circling back to to 4chan Nazis and femboys, in the, in the 2000s and 2010s, trap was almost like a badge of honor and self descriptor for many femboys as well. Like being able to trap or like you know pass for a woman while having a dick was like the highest level of femboyness. It was like it was like top shelf femboy was being was being able to to achieve this feat. Um, usually this was, you know, for the purposes of taking like lewd pictures of yourself and then having them be, you know, well liked or spread across online forums. 
um, in my interviews with people from these online spaces longer than I've been around, um, it was it was like described to me by them them being like femboys are just trying to look feminine, whereas traps are really trying to look like girls, and that is kind of like the distinction in okay. these in these places at the time. Um, now you know all while calling yourself trans was heavily discouraged and ridiculed um, in 2011. You know 4chan. It was it was it was it was hard to be it was hard to even be openly gay like let alone transgender. So, but being self described as a trap was much more accepted. So a lot of these people would actually self describe as this or like want to be self described as this. So like want to be at the point where they feel like they could say this. Um, and it's it's interesting. It's like a lot of a lot of the attraction to traps, um, was in in a lot of ways genuine but also all wrapped in this like joking ironic kind of exterior being like oh it's all like it's all like a bit that we're all, that we're all in on the joke for right that that's kind of how this was explained yeah. away um a, a, another quote from my interviews is like quote if you actually admitted to being actually actually romantically attracted to traps or femboys you would be heavily ostracized people would say things like oh my god you actually did it like you actually did the thing Mm-hmm. Um, cause like it is, it is, it was like wrapped in this sense of, 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 of like irony and, and, and any hint of sincere attraction was masked in this like ironic joke, like facade. So at this point, 4chan is basically an amateur porn filled cesspool of anime, uh, gaming, edgy jokes, and increasingly bad politics with pole really taking the shape of like the Nazi machine that it is today. So yep. close proximity and probability is all that's necessary to make these racist and femboys have this, you know, uncomfortable awakening uh, once they start seeing a whole bunch of pictures with people with dicks wearing, you know, like, maid outfits. Um, so with, with all these, like, edgy, ironic, and not-so-ironic uh, jokes, the racists populating these chans, forums, and online spaces, it's only a matter of time before they get exposed to boys posing in Japanese tennis skirts and pink wigs which helps create this infinity loop idea of like femboys who get into racism and then fascism and then and fascists who discover they like dick girls and when boys wear dresses and then mm-hmm. it's it's because they're because these things are happening right next to each other it's this whole phenomenon of self-contradiction that just keeps itself going so I, we, we're now we, we're now done this section thankfully um i did not want to get into having to talk about all that stuff because i know it's not people don't like talking about it it's pretty it's pretty it's, it plays on a whole bunch of extremely like transphobic like uh, uh tropes but it is it is a big part of this 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 kind of f- phenomenon um so now we're going to the next part uh which is uh incels gamergate and anti-feminism so i i'm i'm not gonna focus a lot on the idea of repressed queerness here Right, the the idea of like raging homophobes being secretly gay, because I think that idea gets a little too much attention when we, when we talk about this sort of thing. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, this absolutely this absolutely does happen, but I generally view sexuality, gender identity, and gender expression as much more fluid attributes, even among people who consider themselves cis and straight. So I I I don't like defaulting to this like explainer of being like, oh, they're homophobic, that means they're secretly gay, and like that's I think that's kind of lazy and stupid. But when, when we're talking about the curious case of Nazi catboys, most individuals involved uh, not only identify as straight and cisgender, but are also very homophobic and very transphobic, uh, despite their overly like queer behavior. Because it is it is like queer in like the original sense of the word. Um, and I th- I think there's much more interesting ways to analyze this beyond the repressed gay trope. 
we've already we've already already, already talked about some femboys and femboy appreciators adopting reactionary and conservative social beliefs to fit into the larger culture around 4chan and parts of the online gaming community to find this sense of belonging and you know shared shared community among other people but in order for the fascist femboy to be such a lasting meme and trope in and of itself, in my mind, there needs to be a bit of a stronger justification for the inherent contradictions uh, beyond just finding community itself. And we will we'll talk about that when we come back from 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 our break. Here's here's some ads that uh, that are hopefully about how you, too, can go on Amazon.com and buy a maid outfit. And we're back. OK. We're gonna talk about incels. Um, one of one of my oh, good. yeah yeah it's uh it's, <laughs> um incels or like involuntarily celibate people whatever I I assume people who are listening to this know what incels are, um but the incel movement gained traction in the mid twenty teens alongside Gamergate and the growing kind of anti feminist uh, uh, and alongside a mass shooting. <laughs> It's of probably multiple, worth multiple, acknowledging. Multiple mass shoot. There's been, yeah, there yeah, was many. There was there was also the Toronto attack when uh, yeah. uh, the incel ran over people in that van. There's been multiple mass acts of violence tied to the incel idea, and Which how is they specific- why a lot of us just call them horny ISIS. I've never heard anyone call them that before. Well, they are. I mean, admittedly, also this is this is also the same period where just ISIS is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they sure were. Oh, those you were just the days. With ISIS. It was a. Uh, it I I would I would really want ISIS to chime in on the Will Smith debate. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Like, <laughs> I, I would love that to shit hear. Sucked. No, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the Taliban's take. No, on, uh, on no, <laughs> no, no, no. Is violence enough. against is violence comedians is violence against comedians justified? The Taliban weighs in at six. Yeah, um, the Taliban argue. You could get the Taliban arguing with ISIS K. By God, it could be done. <laughs> what a what a what a better world that would be. Especially if Trump was still on Twitter and could mediate. Oh God, that would have been so funny. Oh, it, if if Trump had been around on Twitter, to, it's the only time I've missed him. Just like, oh yeah, yeah, that would have been the that would have been the good shit. <laughs> anyway, um. Yeah, incels. There, it's a pretty like ostensibly violent movement because it's it's all about making young men disenfranchised about their future, right? It's this fatalistic idea that they were promised things and now those promises are no longer being kept by society. So you are kind of doomed to live a pathetic life forever, right? So it, it is a very fatalist idea that really kind of encourages acts of violence, um, but. The incel movement was gaining traction around this whole time, right right beside Gamergate and the growing anti-feminist movement. And I think the key to putting this puzzle together is in the hatred and resentment of women itself um, as like a thing. I think, think this is actually a key part of why the femboy and femboy fascist thing kind of caught on. Most of the loose organizing of these movements were happening on 4chan and Reddit, right? And eventually, eventually Discord as well. These were the same places that were home to the anime posting femboy amateur porn community. And one of the most common viewpoints at the time was that feminism is ruining women, right? It's, it's, it's disrupting the natural patriarchal order that many boys were taught existed, uh, you know, with promises of girlfriends and wives that are like rightfully theirs as some kind of like yeah. obligation. Yeah, I mean, this is when we talk about like promise people being men being promised women. We're generally talking about like the way in which fiction 
kind of yes. implicitly promises yes. women as a, as a reward for heroics or, yeah, or it's do, like, just being good. Yeah, it's like it's 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 specifically like a cultural idea yeah. that is probably the, the best example of this. Star Wars: Luke Skywalker becomes a hero and gets to gets to kiss his sister. You know, that's, that, that's yes, probably which the is example. just the key, which is the, the driving driving motivation of many <laughs> many incels. Said <laughs> so they too can one day kiss their sister. <laughs> thank, thank you, Robert, for that for that yep. succinct analysis. Mm-hmm. I used to I used to be a, a, a films reviewer, Garrison. <laughs> so, like, if you're taught and raised like thinking that something like this exists, right? Like this 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 correct patriarchal order, like it's like it's 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 almost it's almost like this like righteous truth. Um, and you, if you then discover that, like, that's kind of a lie and that, like, women are actually individuals with value not tied to the ownership by a man, um, some men have a very, uh, very unhealthy, often violatile reaction to this realization or confrontation. So some people then decide to do mass shootings. Some people uh, uh, kill people. Some people just do, you know, some people might just do... You know, like um, uh, intimate partner violence, right? Say that they do get a a, a partner at some point, and it's not going the way they want, and they just become abusive, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole bunch of ways this this type of thing can manifest. Um, so faced with the work of like not being a dick and trying to combat this ingrained misogyny, and then having to like actually put effort into being attractive and desired, uh, a lot of men instead opt to either like attack outwards or withdrawal inwards, and sometimes a mix of both. So with the with the fascist femboy thing, a lot of this is like withdrawing inwards, right? A lot, a lot of these people are too introverted and too kind of cowardly to actually do like a mass shooting, which is like that's 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 probably good. Um, but then with them and drawing inwards, we're gonna we're, it's kind of manifests in this in this in this different way. So when dealing with this almost like misogynistic nihilism. A lot of dudes really lost hope in the prospect of a future romance with women. So instead of putting in effort to adjust their personality, adjust their behavior, change their patri- change their patriarchal outlook, and improve their physical appearance, many guys instead will retreat to their online communities full of other guys facing similar issues. Right? It's easier to live in front of a screen and not have to face other humans in person. These these people don't really have much substantial experience in real life interacting with the opposite gender. Um, so these perhaps you know these these so-called straight guys that were drawn to femboys also may have had just had like bad experiences with, with women. They may have faced rejection, and that re- rejection may have really brought them down. Um, and then they assume that they're always going to be re- rejected by women because of like a few bad experiences. And, and the kind of guys who are on these chans, forums, and Reddit, online gaming, they tend to be generally more socially outcast people who aren't necessarily super physically naturally like attractive and masculine right you have to, like people everyone almost everyone can be attractive you just have to like put in work if you if you just never do that like a, a lot of boys are never taught how to actually make themselves look good so they're just kind of like just like like, well, and like also festering. that like a, attractive is is a much like they if you go on these incel forums they'll focus a lot on like well <laughs> I yeah. have, you know, there's these folds in the creases of my eyes or like the way that my nose is they get built very makes it impossible, hyper-spec- physically hyper-specific. impossible for a woman to be into me. And it's like, no, yeah, like more than people, like uh, there's all sorts of different preferences people have for physical things. But overall, like the number one thing you can do to be attractive is is to be a person that people uh, like, like. Be confident w- and want be in like, their life. If you yeah. have a, like have like a good personality. Like learn uh, how to do a variety of things and yeah. just like have have a life. Uh, I mean, that a lot of the other a lot of these people guys, are like, oh, that seems neat. 
they think that they can achieve, you know, they think that women should flock to them even if they put in like no effort at all, right? If they just do what they're doing, they feel like, why is this not working? Or, um, or the effort they put in is like, Elliot, again, Elliot Rogers, the perfect example of these kind of people. Like the effort that he put in was he like made his dad buy him a really nice car and he dressed in expensive clothing. And it's like, well, that's actually very few people are attracted to that. And yes, yeah. the people who are attracted solely to someone having a nice car and clothing probably have shallow. really weird specific like physical things they're also only looking for. Yeah. Um but that's because you were like like that that's not making yourself attractive as opposed to I don't know learning how to cook or or learning, yep. you know, a, a foreign language or you know being an emotionally available person who's not purely viewing relationships in a transactional nature where you're you're paying for sex by being friendly, you know? But Those you know are, with, in, you know anyway. But you know what's easier than doing all that is just hating women. That is that's a much easier thing for these for these people to do. So oh they often boy. default it, it, to this. So the internet's taught me one thing. It's that <laughs> it's quite easy to hate women. <laughs> so while these like alt right hellholes like 4chan um and you know Reddit, a lot, a lot online gaming, right? Online gaming is full of misogyny. Um all these all these places like really hate like actual women it's they still heavily fetishize femininity right it's still viewed as this like glorious like like thing that's put 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 on a pedestal even though they hate like actual women themselves so feminine dudes can be femboys or cosplay anime to garner attention or social praise, you know, amidst some, you know, standard, you know, like people like, oh, you're faggots, you're disgusting comments. But you can, they, they can still like cosplay and dress up and post pictures without being totally shunned by their fellow edgy alt writers uh, because it's kind of funny and some of them may actually find it cute, even though, even though they may not admit it. Uh, Femboys often do have, like, you know, ge I generally think cute and effeminate features. They, they can, in for these people, a big part of the goal is to like trick the brain into thinking that you're just looking at a girl um, that might just so happen to have a penis. So, therefore, when like viewing these pictures, these guys are also like getting a sense of familiarity with girl-like imagery, um, while thinking that like they also might have a shot in with interacting with this individual because they don't have a vagina, so that makes it makes interacting with them like easier because there's like more things to relate to, I guess. Um, you would see a lot of like role playing and like role playing of sexting and like role playing of dating girls through this femboy framework, just uh, actually a really common occurrence. As like and it was it was explained as like as like a sort of practice for imagining their future of dating women. It was like, it was like they're doing this to like practice interacting with women. Um, so they're just gonna be role-playing dating femboys while being Nazis, <laughs> but they're doing it so that it's like a practice so that they'll be better at dating women in the future. It's like, so that, that's, that's actually a really common thing. Um, or like, yeah, like sexting as, as, as like, yeah, I'm just doing this for practice. Like I'm, I'm doing this so that I will be good at sexting in the future. <laughs> just doing it with these femboys on, you know, Discord, on 4chan, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, because like all of like the whole femboy thing is still dealing with the patriarchal views of beauty, right? It's, it's fe femininity as this sort of performance put on for the enjoyment of others. And because it's about that, like appreciating femininity itself, it's seen as a lot safer than full-on homosexual attraction, right? Because it's it's allowed 
if if you if you can appreciate the femininity, then that's allowed to propagate despite also kind of being degenerate because the person generally femboys usually self ID as male, but because it's wrapped in this feminine package, it's allowed to be appreciated. Um, and for the people that did eventually come to terms with their queerness, the 4chan femboy thing allowed them to safely dip their toes into exploring have like exploring homosexuality, bisexuality, exploring like gender bending without like abandoning the typical masculine feminine roles that were kind of raised to be comfortable with. Right. It, it's still in the regular masculine feminine like role sets, but it's approachable because it's allowed to be done through this both both this like ironic joke but then also it's still it's still based off these patriarchal views of feminine beauty uh, so it's 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 a weird thing uh, it's it's that's a it's the other part of it that I, I like to explain to people because you're like oh that is like trying to picture fascists fake dating each other online so that they'll be better at dating women in the future it's just a very absurd idea it's I <laughs> It's very. It, I'm actually fine with this, but part, like, but. it makes like it, it makes sense. Like, it, it, like it, like I understand it, and you can like, yeah, like I, I, I get it. Um, and it did help a lot of people eventually realize maybe I'm not the straightest uh, stick in the shed, or maybe I'm not the straightest stick in the fascies. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone needs a safe space to figure out what they are, and I guess that even includes fascists maybe because like not because i want fascists to be fascists but because maybe some of them through this weird role-playing role will like get over some yeah, stuff absolutely and just, like recognize that like oh maybe maybe i'm just like gay and i need to not work on be, myself like work on myself <laughs> yeah. and like i i'm i'm maybe i've been barking up the wrong tree with all this nazi stuff <laughs> yeah no because um, like amidst like the Gamergate and the height of the incel era, these guys felt more comfortable exploring their burgeoning sexuality in these male-dominated online spaces, right? They're, it's easier to relate to other males when they're when they're all like growing up, coming of age, dealing with uh, dealing with these like feelings of uh, like abandonment, loneliness, right? If they, they do this in these male spaces, they feel a lot safer to express themselves. Um, you know, wh whether or not they're full of fascists or you know, like other people who are like very like reactionary, because at least they can understand male desire, um, and that's and they they can relate to that and interact with people who are you know they they can e interact easier with people with dicks, while wrapped in this fem feminine package, which is so much easier than the much more scary and much more elusive of, like females out there, right? It's it's that that's kind of the framework that this was propagated through it's it's, uh, it's really interesting that it's like y you have these people who like they're they're like their they're, they're trans misogyny is such that like they've, oh, yes. they've, they've, they've they've escalated to a point where it circles back around yes it is <laughs> like, it is so intense it is such a it's it, there's so much going on yeah yeah it's like it's like it becomes this like <laughs> like I don't know. It, it 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 becomes like the 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 fact that it's like conceptually impossible for them for just like a woman to have a dick like that has like circled back around and just completely come to define how they have gender in such a way that someone who is like just is performing gender like as a woman like to to the extent that like they're trying to like. They're they're trying to have people use like anti trans slurs against them. Yeah, 
There's, yeah, it's it's an interesting. There's there's so there's so much going on because yeah, it's rooted in a whole bunch of it's people exploring gender in this weird way while also like relying on heavily like misogynistic, uh, trans misogynistic, homophobic kind of ideas. But it's it's also it's like it's very queer in this in like the way in in the way they're going about it, because uh, it's a whole bunch of like self it's a whole bunch of like self justification. It's a it's a whole bunch of like stuff around like what they view as feminine, what they view as masculine, what what they view like being a woman means. Um, it is it is it is uh it's it's a lot yeah because like as as like a more as like a gender queer trans person I like I like look at them go through all this work and I'm like wow. I, they could have bypassed a whole bunch of bullshit if they just yeah. were like less of a dick. Like if they're just less of if they, if, if they weren't just horrible people, they could have experienced these same things. But again, like they were, they're in their own isolated communities. They're they're dealing with these same ingredients just from this weird backwards way. So like, it's it's obviously very transphobic in, in a lot of senses. But a lot of a lot a lot of these people eventually realized, oh, maybe I'm actually trans. <laughs> so it's this. It's like I I don't know. It's obviously not great in a lot of ways but i don't know how to discuss it when saying like yes it's obviously not great for how like trans misogynistic it is but they're all working through some stuff mm-hmm. yeah well you know one thing i will say about this is like yeah like if kids were actually allowed to be queer normally like this shit mostly would not happen like you you wouldn't yeah. get so many people who get locked in these like who are queer who get locked into these spaces but then also, like, the only way that they could express themselves in these, like, narrow, isolated right-wing spaces is do, like, this shit, or they're into the, like, just let is people it, express themselves normally, and this, this you, you can deny the fascist recruiting ground, like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like, it's like, when all, all these people are looking at interacting with femboys, I think a lot, a lot of the reason why they, they were able to play with these ingredients is that they did not experience the same, like, anxiety or, like, heightened stakes or negative or like negative connotations in their mind that that they normally do when thinking about women, because uh, women are just like so other. So in, it's, especially like if you can rationalize this this attraction to femboys as simply a prelude to dating like quote unquote like real women in whatever like fantasy cottagecore future they might imagine, then this idea is way more approachable. Garrison, um, you're gonna need to explain cottagecore for the listeners. I am not. I already. Ha- I we have. I'm, we're, we we are having an ad break. I still in, in in brief, it is this like return to tradition <laughs> obsession you see among like chunks of the far right who are obsessed with the idea that if they if culture was the way it was in the fifties or in like the the eighteen even pre fifties they, w- yeah. they would live on they would live on a small farm with their wife and children who would be utterly submissive to them and everything would be perfect that like the only thing in between them and happiness is that. They're not able to live in a in a in a small like farm with a woman who they essentially own. That's, I, I that's will, the gist. I will say a lot of cottage core aesthetics are also used by liberals and people on the left as well, just as like an aesthetic thing. We all Less... want to live on a small farm in the woods. <laughs> yeah, the okay. thing that makes it the cottage core <laughs> that we're talking about is specifically the idea of I want to own a woman and and own my children and have like no no power capable of like stopping me from. Yeah, because like yeah. cottage corn TikTok is pretty sanitized and pretty much like more of an aesthetic thing, less tied to those patriarchal kind yeah. of structures. But anyway, like, like everything we're talking about, there's the version that's Nazis and there's the version that's like, boy, it sucks living in a four thousand dollar a month apartment in New York City that I share with nine people. I sure would like to live on a cottage in the woods. <laughs> anyway, speaking of living a yeah. cottage in these woods, 
um, if you buy these products, it'll get you closer to your cottage core lifestyle. So That's right. here, give it a we listen. We are sponsored entirely by the concept by of living big cottage. In the woods. Yeah, big cottage. <laughs> yes, the cottage industrial complex. All right, we are back, and now we're talking about the point of the Nazi cat boy debate that everyone I think who is familiar with the topic knew was coming. No, no breakdown of Nazi cat boys and the Nazi cat boy phenomenon is complete without talking about Nick Fuentes and uh, Catboy Cami. So, uh, Nick Fuentes. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is part of the part of the show that, ever, that everyone's been waiting for. Um, I don't know that most people would know to be waiting for this, but <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. oh, Nick Fuentes oh, is broadly recognized by our audience. So, in short, uh, if George Lincoln Rockwell has the permanent body of a seventeen-year-old boy. Um, that would, that's Nick Fuentes. Uh, as many of you know, Nick Fuentes is a white nationalist live streamer and political activist that runs the fascist America First organization. Uh, he's known for fostering a farther right conservative base than, say, Ben Shapiro or Turning Point USA, um, and has pulled stunts like sending his fans, called Groypers, mm. uh, to Turning Point USA events to take over God. the Q&A sections and basically everything. ask Charlie Kirk why he isn't more fascist. Mm. Um... Yeah, so he runs this whole organization, mostly known by doing his daily live streams. He's been doing this since he's like 16 or 17 years old. Fucking nonsense. Um, and it's kind of a running joke, or widely acknowledged secret, that Nick is kind of gay. Um, based on the way he talks about women, and based on what he said about his own dating history, and snide comments from fellow homophobic Nazi friends... Has led a lot of people, has led a lot of people to to this conclusion that Nick may not be again the straightest stick in the fascists. Um, nice. Thank you. Thank you. You did uh, good there, Garrison. Thank you. Proud of you. Proud of you for that one. <laughs> um, and as, as a significant contributing factor to this like questioning of Nick's sexuality um, is due to his 2018 to 2020 Catboy arc. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So, so. This this arc begins in January 2018. Um, Finally, giving our audience the important important news. <laughs> this that, is what you need to know, people. That month, uh, Nick created a Catboy themed channel in his own America First Discord server. Hell yeah, he did. Uh, with Nick with Nick messaging, post Catboys in here, please. With oh, weird God. with weird capitalizations cool. throughout the the thing so cool. nick cheered on along with other people posting pictures of various cat boys from pop culture and cat boy edits of nick fuentes himself um one america first server uh, user posted cat boys are trad <laughs> and which means like traditionalist in kind of the sense that like Nazis are traditionalist. That's that's what that person is saying. There, he also posted which is very funny. He also posted cat boys more like cath boys. Oh God! So oh, like no. again, Fuentes cat is like a, a Catholic, is a Catholic fascist. fascist. Yes. Yeah. So that's 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 the that's the joke. Sorry, I am I'm losing it. This is I know, Garrison. This is you're, so you're, funny. You're, you're you're out of control right now. <laughs> this is it is so. I've I've looked through this Discord. Nobody's arguing. This isn't very funny. <laughs> I've I've looked through this Discord server multiple times for the for the screenshots of, of I know when, you of have when he had the Catboy channel, and it always makes me happy. It is it's one of the mm. most funny things I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I, I as as your friend, I'm always warring between wanting you to be happy and worried that this is a cry for help. But please continue. <laughs> Eventually, Nick uh, faced some pushback from inside the server for fostering degeneracy. Um, God, with with others with, with with others defending the Catboy channel by saying brotherly love is Christian, amazing, <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> See, this is this is this is exact. This is the good shit. This is what we've been building towards as a civilization, right here, baby. Other God, people, yeah. other people, other people defended the Catboy channel by saying women don't respect Christianity. Your okay. tribe's thoughtery always leaks out eventually. Good God! Yes, uh, that's 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 the good stuff. I got but, no, I got no comment. Just just perfect. Thank you. But but because Nick is fundamentally a coward, he did cave under pressure and deleted the Catboy channel. Um, oh. And we we lost. I think the America First movement today could be so different if this he is, kept. This is this is why the cause of Americanism is doomed. This kind yeah. of cowardice. But 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 as as we will see, we'll cuck shit from Nick. <laughs> oh, absolutely! This this whole this whole section's about Nick Fuentes being th- thoroughly cucked. <laughs> but as as we will see, uh, Nick continued to use um, the exact rhetoric I laid out in my incels, Gamergate, and anti-feminism section while defending what he calls attraction to traps. Um, and we can, of course, we can apply this this defense broadly to catboys and femboys, as Nick does. Um, I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'm going to try to play a video um, about about Nick Fuentes. Um... Are traps gay? Yeah, traps are gay. I've always maintained traps are gay, of course. You have sex with a man, it's gay. There's no getting around that. Uh, now that said, now that said, uh, look, it's gay, I get it, 100%, I agree. Now that said, it's, you know, we're in times where the women are not really meeting their obligations. So I'm not saying you're not, look, if you have sex with a trap, you're gay. No doubt about that. And you should be ridiculed, you should be made fun of. But it's a little bit different than if you did it like 20 years ago, that's all I'm saying. If you in the 1960s, in the 1960s were banging a trap, I would say, what's wrong with you? Like, I would say that now. I would say that now. I would say, well, you're some kind of sick freak. We have all these beautiful <sighs> girls, and they're normal, you know? And you have sex with a trap? What's wrong with you? But uh, in 2019, it's like, well, it's, it's different. It's a different circumstance, different options. You're still disavowed. I disavow. It's condemned. It's gay. It's all that. But, you know, it's just different. I think everybody understands that. Uh, oh, my but God. Still, but I'm still disavowed. I hate just this saying, human. We just have to have a little, we just have to have a little nuance, all right? It's just a different, a little, little nuance? All right? Different times. It's different a different time. I maintain strong disavowal, strong disavowal. Do not, do not do that. It's gay. It's immoral. You're going to hell. And it's weird and it's gross. Oh my God. What's wrong with you? What's but wrong with you? Well ma- what? Females, the femoid race. The femoid race. Burden. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that one in a minute. Pearson, I'm upset. That was horrible. Okay. You're, you're I haven't heard femoid since the Davis Arini days, which I folks know. at home, if you don't ah. if you if you missed Davis Arini, you missed the one brief moment where the far right was purely funny. Um, that was bad. So so be the the worst so yes, being being attracted to traps makes makes you gay according to him. 
but not really, because the female race isn't carrying their burden like it once did back in the sixties. It, it's like it's like they, they, <laughs> back in back in back in the old days of the nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they they've like almost gotten back to the like the the. I mean, I guess it probably still exists somewhere, but like the 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 thing you got with fascists sometimes, where they were like, "Yeah, like I fuck dudes, but I'm a top, so it's not gay." It's like uh-huh. they're like so sure. close to sure, getting buddy. back there. Sure, like, buddy. They're so close. And it's like, oh, it's yeah. that like Roy Cohn kind of. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I, I think, I think like, I think once we get like just slightly, like maybe like 20 more years out from like the evangelical evangelicalism as I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's resurgence is going to be like a big enough heyday thing, but it's like, I, I, th- I think if you had like 20 years where the right wasn't completely dominated by sort of evangelical homophobia, like I think you would just get back there. And well, we oh we're we're already on that way, and yeah. I mean it's but the the Nick Fuentes Catboy saga does not stop here. No, 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 no. <laughs> I I am it is it is funny maybe the wrong word but fascinating that we are heading inevitably barreling towards this future where simultaneously homophobia is still a massive part of conservative politics and conservatives are gay as hell. Like, yeah, that's, that's absolutely something where we are speeding towards <sighs> like a, a drunken family on the back of a four wheeler about to break all of their necks at once in so, a, a crash in the woods. So Nick Fuentes loved tweeting about Catboys. He did it a lot. He um, sure did. And for a while, Nick's Catboy jokes and like memory was tolerated under his banner of like irony poisoned reactionary comedy. But every ironic joke has its tipping point, and mm-hmm. that makes that makes enough people wonder: is is this actually ironic? Uh, and for Fuentes, that moment came when he live streamed a ten-hour date with a fellow fascist live streamer who went by the name uh, Catboy Cami. Now, first, let's let me explain who Catboy Cami was right. at, the, at the time. Then we'll Thanks, get into Garrison. the date, and then Glad we'll, we're doing then, this. Then, we'll, then we'll get into Nick Fuentes's brief alt-right cancellation. So. Tor Brooks, aka Catboy Cami, uh, formerly going under the the username Lolly Socks, so that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, is an Australian fascist live streamer uh, who first came to prominence by uploading clips of himself harassing users on the popular video chatting site Omogli. Ogly, I never know how to say this one. Omogli, Omogli, I. People I, know, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, have, no heard of it. I have no help for you here. People, p- people will know what I'm talking about. It's this, it's this randomized chatting app uh, that does video chatting uh, with the randomized users. Oh, yeah, I, I, it's O M E G L E. I never know how to say it, but it's this. He, he would, he would upload himself videos of him harassing people uh, via via this chatting app. Um, in one of them, he dresses up in blackface and uh, while brandishing guns and trying to, he was trying to find like black black kids to taunt on this platform. Uh, another one, he dressed up as a policeman um, and kneels on an effigy he made in the likeness of George Floyd. Um, he it's it's he is he is he is pretty gross. Uh, he is, he's 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 a pretty horrible person. But for a long time, his bit was dressing up in. Anime costumes and, 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 and dressing up as a cat boy uh, to then talk about like neo Nazi rhetoric while dressed as a cat boy. And this, this, this was his funny bit that he would do. Um, at one point, he was streaming like 24 hours a day uh, for 10 days, for like, for, like, for the days and days on end. 
Um, and he was earning thousands of followers in places like US and Russia. Uh, and he became the seventh highest earning streamer on DLive. And DLive was the popular live streaming platform used by fascists. Um, in tw in, so in late 2019 was when Catboy Cami popped up in, like, in America, initially catching the attention of Nick Fuentes. Over the, over, over the course of a few months, uh, he kind of made friends with various people in the American far-right internet sphere, like Milo, uh, Richard Spencer, uh, Baked Alaska, but, but Nick Fuentes was his original kind of entry point into this. Nick saw, Nick saw his videos online and was interested in like, what he was doing. Uh, Nick said that he had a good sense of humor and he's good looking and demonstrated and demonstrated his uh, repeatability that he's able to achieve viral moments and retain a streaming audience. So Nick became friends with him because he thought Catboy Cammy would be like a growing internet presence and wanted to kind of move his uh, his type of like his type of pretty like racist and horrible like joke pranks and tried to give them more give them more of a platform to kind of frontline reactionary ideologies. Um, so when, when Nick was getting familiar with Catboy Cammy, Cammy's online, online activities were mainly consisting of, of dressing up as an anime catboy to do random, like, political debates or live streams or show up at, like, anime conventions to harass people, um, and doing, like, various gags and pranks. Uh, one of the most, uh, in infamous incidents was, uh, was when he was, uh, deep-throating a massive horse cock dildo hooked up to a bucket of fake semen. Um... Good, good. Okay. Yeah. So, Fine. in sure. December in December of 2019, uh, Catboy Cammy flew from Australia to go visit. Where did Nick they get the horse semen, Garrison? <laughs> no, I, the, I, the semen was fake. It was, it was. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It was, it, it was a massive horse cock dildo hook, hooked up to a bucket of like fake semen, right? Okay, and, and, so just like cornstarch and stuff. I'm happy. Yeah. I, I, if we want to go over recipes later, I'm sure we can make that a whole episode. But no, I know how to make fake cum. <laughs> In uh, December of 2019, Catboy Gabby flew from Australia to go visit Nick Fuentes and then uh, proceeded to live stream the 10-hour totally straight hangout session with Catboy Cammy dressed up as a catboy the entire time. I mean, this they, does sound very straight to me, Garrison. They, they, go to uh -huh. an they go to an arcade, they play games together, they get food and milkshakes, they go clothing shopping and, and try on matching outfits, um, all while laughing and giggling the entire time. Um, mm -hmm. While... while, uh, while uh, while driving and listening to extremely gay pop music, uh, Catboy Cammy says to Nick that uh, he reminds him of an ex. It's great. And by the end of the 10-hour stream, it's implied that they, it's, it's, they end the stream and it's implied that they share a room uh, for the night. Um, sure. I'm sure they did. And it's 10 hours of pure, uh, horrible uh, Nazi flirting. And it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a thing. It exists. Mm -hmm. Um, but as, so as news and details of the live stream uh, uh, started to circulate, a wave of inf a wave of infighting among the alt right and the gropers spawned some amazing articles and headlines from neo Nazi news sites. Uh, there's a headline from the Daily Stormer called uh, "The Groper Revolution is Cancelled After Nick Fuentes Reveals to Be a Catboy and Gay Faggot," which is pretty ast pretty astonishing. Yeah, um, that the, sounds uh, that sounds about right. Okay. Other other great headlines: We have a uh, Fuentes disavows Catboy after pressure from Trad News. <laughs> if you're if you're sitting down and for your movement that you want to take over the government, typing uh -huh. down Fuentes disavows Catboy, 
perhaps you need to think about some things. We got another headline as Catboy Cammy versus Richard Spencer. Because Richard Spencer tried to cancel Nick for this. Because Nick was getting more popular than him. Um, and we have another great headline, which is uh, Nick Fuentes's Catboy BFF is a mockery to his sexuality. Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's pretty good. There's this this great there's there's this great um a bit from one one of these articles which 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 which, which I'll quote. So it starts out starts out by saying, "Is Nick Fuentes attracted to women? If you trusted the plan, you wouldn't ask such questions." I will say that I don't think the ten hour live stream helps King Nick of the Groypers at the moment. He had a good thing going by trying to promote a more Christian and normal presenting nationalist movement and was gaining a lot of traction until he ruined his image by associating it with this. None of his various enemies did this to him either. He did it entirely to himself. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, like, obviously, like, the, the point of this is not to, like, not to, like, put Nick Fuentes' sexuality on blast. Like, I do, do not care one way or the other. Um, it's not a problem. Like, the problem isn't, is that, the problem isn't that Nick may uh, find Catboys incredibly hot, uh, but the problem is that he's like a Nazi and stuff and calls for the extermination of gay people while also doing all of this shit. Um, and, you know, Nick, Nick still maintains that he isn't gay and gay people should be uh, exiled from society and he would never associate with homosexuals, blah, 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 blah. Um, all while doing all this incredibly straight behavior. Um, uh, uh, for an up, 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 update on Catboy Cammy. Uh, later in 2020, Catboy Cammy made multiple appearances at Trump rallies and various other political events, uh, going viral multiple times for screaming incredibly racist, anti-Semitic, and openly fascist rants. Um, you probably saw footage of Catboy Cammy in 2020. Um, he was just just he was just he was just dressed as like a regular person, uh, but he, he there was a few clips of him at Trump rallies that went very very viral, um, and Nick even uh, disowned and disavowed Catboy Cammy for bad optics. Uh, during during uh, during these incredibly racist rants, he would he would go on at at, at Trump rallies, um, and then of course we have America America First and uh, and and Nick Fuentes then being you know an escalating part of the protests in D.C. leading to January sixth. Um, we have the person alleged to have stolen Nancy Pelosi's laptop being in those America First Discord servers and uh, rec and grooming. Uh, young boys by dressing up as a cat girl, um, so all part what? of this, all part of I we, we this will get talked about later in like yeah. news articles and stuff. This has not been talked about. Some people already know about it, but but yes, um, so it's all part of this same like Nick Fuentes catboy sect of things of these these like people who call, who call themselves trad cats who then do all this weird catboy shit. And yes, the 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 person who stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop who was like an open Nazi. Um, was was grooming uh, like minors on on Discord by dressing up as cat girl by by <sighs> dressing up as a cat girl, um, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of this this whole sphere of stuff. You can find some incredibly dark dark corners. Um, but nowadays, in 2021, uh, in the year of our Lord 2021, uh, femboys are way more of like it's op like generally acknowledged to be like a kind of like a leftist like communist thing almost. Um, like, and, and I think the reason why this debate got so, I think the reason why the fascist, like the fascist femboy debate got so kind of heightened in the past few years is like ever since like Tumblr banned porn, 
uh, there's been a migration of Tumblr users onto Twitter, yeah. and a part, of, part, a part of this migration is not safe for work users and content, um, including femboys and people who fetishize femboys and even fetishize racist femboys. Uh, moving, moving onto Twitter, right? Twitter's become the new has become the new de facto Tumblr in in a lot of senses. So the past few years, more more normies have been exposed to these types of like off the cuff people. Um, then of course TikTok has sent femboys into the mainstream because TikTok is also it's not an image board but it is a visual medium right where you're posting small videos of yourselves so a lot of lot of catboy and femboy content on TikTok there's even this horrible article from two, from August of 2020 by Vice called introducing femboys the most wholesome trend on TikTok as if femboys were invented in 2020 just oh, mind boggling <laughs> article um <sighs> but yeah, femboys are now much more. Ma- if if you take the Vice article as an example, femboys are now fully mainstreamed, right? The, the, femboys used to be a small subculture, but among Gen Z kind of culture as a whole now, femboys are very popular. They are they are kind of they are one of one of like one of like the hot new Pokemon's to collect. Um, and I'm Garrison, I'm gonna Garrison. <laughs> That's what? cultural appropriation for millennials. You're not allowed to talk about Pokemon's. I don't I don't care. Um, we 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 own those. Now, so just just to talk about like scale of memes here, I have some Google, I have some like Google Trends um, on like Nazi cat boys and Nazi femboys, uh, and we see the a mass the biggest biggest spike in Nazi femboy is January of twenty twenty one, which makes sense. This that, that's when I started writing this this script actually. Um, so yeah, for for. Google Trends got a massive spike in January of 2021, and it's kind of been decreasing since then. But still, still, like it, it was a, it was like you would see blips every once in a while. Like there was a small blip of Nazi femboys in 2017, a small blip in 2018, and then a small blip at the start of the pandemic in March of 2020 because people are alone and isolated, so they're doing this instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, January of 2021, massive, massive spike. Um, same thing with a very similar to racist femboy. It's basically the same exact tra- 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 trajectory. Uh, we do get a, a pretty big spike in racist femboy in June of 2020, um, and then another big spike of actually of November of 2021 is the highest is the highest uh, searches for racist femboy. So it's still very much an ongoing meme of like a thing of being like, yeah, femboys are pretty racist. It's still completely completely ongoing. Um, oh, thank God. Yeah, it is. It's, don't worry. This is not. This is not a closed case. And that's good, Garrison. I was really worried for a second. <laughs> no, people. People. And this, like, the thing, I think. I think if, if you're not extremely online, you probably even you like you might not know about this. But like, this is like an, this is an actual discourse on Twitter. Like, oh yeah. Like this, there will be like a week where the only thing people argue about is whether femboys are inherently racist. Which obvi- obviously, obviously they're down. not. Like, it's it's. I don't know, awful. Garrison. So, and the last thing I'm going to mention here is in the is in the is in the Unicorn Riot uh, Discord leaks when oh, they God. leaked a whole bunch of information from lots uh-huh. of different fascist channels. We have over a thousand mentions of cat boys inside the Unicorn Riot fascist Discord leaks. Garrison, I have a question so, for you. Yes. It's Do you okay think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he's created here on Earth? <laughs> So, if you want to have a fun time, you can go to discordleaks.unicornriot.ninja um, slash discord slash search 
then put in put in Catboy and just scroll 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 through thousands of posts from these Nazi channels. It is not <laughs> mentioning Catboy. We got stuff from like Sargon of Akkad. Oh, the God. we have the Discord channel Domestic <gasps> Terrorism Planning Discord. We got <laughs> a Catboy channel. We of course have uh, we of course have Nick Fuentes. We got every whatever you would look for, you can find it here. Um, and that is that is the curious case of Nazi cat boys. So there there you go. Any any questions, class? Garrison. Uh huh. Why did why did you do this to us? Because I thought it would be funny. It it is. On the on the inside, it's funny. I'm like anyway, happy. Well, that is uh. So yeah. Now I hope I hope you all have a better look into why the fascist fanboy meme exists and how. People can have the cognitive distance in their own heads in terms of, you know, fetish, fetishizing feminine attributes while still hating women and then leading into the Nick Fuentes catboy craze that has swept the nation as a whole. So just so, OK, just 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 be queer and a leftist. You don't have to do this shit. You do not have to wrap your brain in fucking 17 layers of bullshit of like fine. weird misogyny and trad no. misogyny. You could just you, you can just be gay and a leftist. No. And as as we as we showed, you can you can you can be a leftist, you can love Stalin and be a cat boy. It's totally fine. I think you can, you can be anything and be a cat boy. That's that's the the main message of the 21st century. Vladimir Putin is going to come out as a cat boy when he releases his next unhinged rant in support of JK Rowling. <laughs> That's 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 where the discourse is headed. It's inevitable. It can't be stopped. I wanted the meme of Nick Fuentes and Vladimir Putin holding hands, being a cat boy. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's where we're going. That does it for us today, everybody. If you want to uh, uh, follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media. You can follow my cat boy posting at Hungry Bowtie. Um, yeah. 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 Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.